0: And yes, people, it's a two-parter this week's Echo Chamber. And in part two, we have an epic one for you. We take a look at a short film and then we speak to the man behind it. So buckle up, people. Now it is time for Brothers in Arms. Well, people, thanks to Amy Prina, I just had the opportunity of checking out Brothers in Arms. This is a new short film from Jordan Charles and Ibrahim Nader. Charles also writes the feature. It is produced by. Uh, Joe Baker, Seju Kalamadanda, and Courtney King, executive produced by Jordan Charles, and consultancy from Mark Chase Sanchez. Aaron Alps is on cinematography. Kirsten Young. Sharidan Sotelo, Daniel R. Perry, and Phil Habaker handle the editing. Christy Bednance was on casting. Production design is Yusuf Abu Bakar, Alexandra Kutia, Marjan Mona Kofa and Katerina Muniz. Joss Chu is on art direction. Costume design is Alexandra Kutia. Got hair and makeup from Anat Lopez and Antonio Lee. So the cast. Well, Nick Destino is played by Jordan Charles. Um, His brother, Leon Visconti, is played by Vic Bagratuni. Um, Nick's girlfriend, Ashley Riverdale, is played by Shannon... Raynoza, um I think that's his girlfriend. There's Helena, played by Iris Disler. Uh, Chris Stilly, played by Daniel Desant. Um, Igu Monteri, played by Jeffrey Gilbert. A young Nicholas is played by Noah Banda and a young Leon. Leonardo is played by Jeremy Whitehead. There's Mello played by John Nicholson. Pap played by Coo Lawrence. Don Guerrera played by Peter Lucas. Ria Monteri played by Jennifer. Champion. Uh who else do we have? Lila played by Patty Lauren. Cecile played by Gifford Irvin. Mrs. Davis played by Channing Sargent. Mrs. Chapman played by Upanza bihiri Right? Arturo played by Mark Slater. Father Brada, played by Andrew Pickwood. Uncle Gardino, played by Anthony Candel. Right, so, um, yeah, that's the main cast. That's the main cast. The gist of the story, two brothers tragically separated after a destructive childhood accident. One becoming a relentless police officer. The other a rising crime leader. They find themselves on a collision course to reunite as family loyalties are challenged and fates align at a major arms deal in Los Angeles. So we have a director's statement, right? It reads, portrayals of diversity have enjoyed a heightened and long overdue exposure in the arts of late. Brothers in arms is rooted as a dramatic entertainment to reflect the mosaic of our diverse world. Its story and themes examine how we can begin or belong to something and yet evolve into something else. This film presents the collision and impact of that process upon the people we care about most. The narrative includes Italians, Latinos, Black Americans, other ethnic groups, and authority figures combining and clashing towards mutually realized fates. Too many films with ethnic sensibilities and foreign characters often deliver one dimensional or marginalized studies that only perpetuate stereotypes. And prejudgments. Many films about Italians, for instance, are often reduced to a caricature of organized tra- crime or mafia life in a manner that merely contrives drama and doesn't represent the more realistic complications of a person or heritage. This film intends to find a deeper texture of these realities. Brothers in Arms treads on greater themes intended to explore our differences through disparate family members gone wrong and separate social lines of authority. The story would serve to imbue awareness that those who operate on both sides of the law belong in the same world, despite operating by different codes, police and criminal are helplessly tied to each other and the constant pressure of surveillance and pursuit causes lines to blur. An intended touchstone is the primary role family plays in a culture and the complicated bonds and breaking points of common heritage. The concept of family is interpreted differently by each character, suggesting a varied subjective understanding and meaning of that concept and the emotional weight attached to it. Brothers in Arms aims its lens higher to explore these complexities. Family in this film is not tied to conventional definitions or traditions, Those mired in family conflict seek out what they need through their connecting forces in unique ways. And when family is broken, worlds collide with limitless emotion. Relationships are burdened, loyalties are challenged, and fates are changed. Who but brothers know such things? Hmm. Now, this short film, is actually kind of a proofing concept. It's a story within itself, but the aim is to then produce a feature film. All right. And this is what is said about that. Brothers in Arms is intended as a feature film crime saga that waves intersecting characters with competing motivations and loyalties. It takes aim at the trials and desperation of reconnecting a broken family against near impossible odds. The completed award-winning Brothers in Arms short film is a standalone film in its own right, but more a visual snapshot to showcase the feature film story world, characters, and LA setting of a... Um, story drama that demands its eventual longer feature story to be properly told. The completed short film sets the stage for the greater story to come and teases how the intended feature film will propel its conflicts, relationships and plot to dramatic effect. There is a possible alternative arc to have the feature film story made as an original series befitting of HBO Max, Netflix, Apple, FX, AMC, or networks prone for its brand of genre entertainment with a series-ending cinematic feature release. Hmm. I mean, the likelihood of getting picked up as a series, and then a film to finish it, that's pretty slim at this point, right? Because we don't really see studios taking that sort of approach, especially on new things, right? Stephen King's The Dark Tower, man, like that was, that's been set up in multiple places, you know? And the idea is that films, TV series to bridge films, you know what I mean? And it's not happened yet. Now, supposedly it may come to prime, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see. So, you know, it's more likely just to become a feature film. And I think there is something here, right? It's definitely intriguing right? Like, we see the brothers as their kids, and then the incident that has them separated. Now, we don't actually know the exact reason why they were separated, right? I feel that could have been interesting, you know, to give the actual... Reasoning because you would think that I don't know. In a, well, I'd say in an ideal world, you keep brothers together, right? You'd keep any family together, you know, sisters, brother like anything, you keep them together because there's that bond, right? They've grown up together to that point. So, I think a reason would have been helpful, I think, you know what I mean? Like, maybe that comes in the film, but I think to actually build these characters, we want to flesh them out as much as possible, you yeah. know? So, yeah, we see that, and then we have a glimpse of both in their adult gear. Get- adult guys right we've got the police officer and the criminal right nick and leon and it's like i've never heard the term lion used as a crime figure right As, as you know you've got the like the different parts of the mafia and all of that kind of thing so you've heard certain terms but i've never heard lion right which was uh inch i don't know if it's real or if they just made it up i don't know it's interesting though right now there are things in here that are yeah, they're not new Right, we've seen them countless times in films and TV and all of that malarkey, right? Of a couple and uh, one's distant and it's just like, I can't talk about it. I'm here when you're ready. Okay, I love you. I love you too. Right, We, we see all of that. We've seen that. It would be nice if, you know, we did see more conversation right cuz i th- i think that's a trope you know and it's some people can't talk about things but some people can right so it'd be nice to see the other side of that and like when you're thinking about this as as the the realities there's no way <laughs> that a brother can investigate a brother Right, that, that 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 can't happen. I mean, you'd think it can't happen. I'm sure there have been situations where you're just like, okay, now that case is going to get thrown out because of conflicting issues and all of that kind of damn. But yeah, you'd think mm, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure this could happen. But I think it. it as I said, it lays a foundation that. I think there there is ripe ground to build upon, which is always a good thing, you know? It's always a good thing, right? Because it's where the film ends. You're just like, okay, where are they going to go from this point? It was a bit of an odd ending, I'd say. It's the ending of a TV episode. Right. I, I kind of feel that, like, ah, uh, like I'd have liked it to have ended slightly differently. But I will say, right, you are kind of like, okay, so where do the, what happens now? Right. Because we've in this, right, it's 36 minutes in this, we've heard that there's something happening. Right. But can that happen now? after uh, uh, after what we saw at the end like where where are we going what are we doing you know there there's, there's definitely stuff there there's definitely stuff there yeah so i'm i'm intrigued i thought the direction was pretty decent you know because this is the first uh directorial efforts from both children uh, charles and Ibrahim Nada, they both, you know, worked in film, you know, doing producing, editing, cinematography, acting, all of that malarkey, but this is the first thing that Eva had directed, and yeah, I and mean, they've done a solid job on that front for sure, you know, definitely, right, I would have got rid of some of the musical beds, but again, I'm not a huge fan, right? But yeah, you know, there's some editing, which I'm not quite sure about. Like there's a bit where we cut for a second, right? And you see the back of Nick's head looking out at the city and then it cuts away. And you're just like, I know that wasn't really needed, right? That wasn't really needed. But apart from that, has a nice tone to it right feels and looks very gritty you know what i mean there's some dialogue that's a little clunky and a little generic right we got this voice over at the beginning you know just talking about i wanted to love the city but the city didn't want to love me right <laughs> and listen it works, but it is a little generic, right? We've heard similar before, but it does set the tone. It does set the tone. So, yeah, there, there's certain things in the dialogue that work. There's some bits that don't necessarily work, but as a proof of concept, right, as a first directional effort and writing effort as well, it's not bad. It's not bad. It'll be interesting to see where this goes, right? If they can get this feature, right? And then what do they do with it? How do they develop this story? Because, you know, from the um, director's statement and the idea of taking it to a bigger audience, you know, the sensibility, the, the notions, you can't knock them, right? Trying to develop something with diversity, with breadth, with originality, that's all great, you know, trying to break stereotypes and portrayals and all of that. I mean, obviously, you want to see that, you know, they're lofty goals, but goals that everyone should be striving to, I mean, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we can get there, right, now, we did see some of those stereotypes in the short, but it's a short, right, 36 minutes, not a lot of real estate to work with, So, yeah, it'll be, I'm intrigued, people. I am intrigued. I want to know what's going to happen, what the larger story is, how we move forward, right? What visual opportunities they look to grasp, right? So, yeah, brothers in all brothers in arms. Now, I think if you go to their website, you can subscribe and you'll be kept in the loop to see how this progresses. You know, follow them on the social media, all of that kind of jazz. And people, maybe, maybe we will get to look at that feature film at some point soon. Let's keep our fingers crossed. People, you might not know the name Jordan Charles, but trust me, after this two and a half hour conversation, you will remember it, and I'm sure we will be seeing him all over the place real soon. So, hey, get ready for this epic one. It's time for Jordan Charles, people. okay people so today i am joined by jordan charles who is writer director producer act- jordan is there anything you don't do i <laughs> thank you for stopping by my man
1: hey i appreciate it, kevin thank you for the opportunity and thanks for everything you're doing on your platform here it's wonderful
0: and no worries at all man i'm glad you can stop by and uh yeah I see you got a poster behind you, which um you know, perfect because you got a short film out right now, "Brothers in Arms." Indeed. Right, absolutely. <laughs> now, this is a a project that you're hoping to develop into a film. That's right, right.
1: Yeah, we started off uh, as a short. Well, initially, actually, Kevin uh i started pitching it actually in industry circles um i would say probably about three years ago and uh they indicated to me i had the feature film screenplay and then uh a lot of people that i i commend and highly admire in the industry they told me you know it might be a good idea for you to develop proof of concept to show the tonality of themes Mm. And uh, i managed to gain the investment dollars for us to film the short film we ended up with a 40-minute short film that you see here that the poster reflects. Um, And now we've submitted on the film festival circuit. Uh, We're now resubmitting it a lot throughout the industry to try to gain uh, the actual underlying feature film to be developed, financed, and made. So it's been a journey for sure. Right. That's interesting because, yeah, I was – you
0: know, it's always – curious about how these concepts come about right so the notion of you know the short to the film but so it was originally the idea was a feature
1: absolutely the initial inception was always that I, I've always been inspired by the long format feature filmmaking Um, mm. I'm, I'm predominantly a, a screen actors guild and actors equity actor so I've acted a lot on the independent film landscape and uh that's where my passions lie in the entire creative industry in the filmmaking industry so the long format i would love the next 25 30 years to be devoted to that with also obviously a little bit of television because there's so much great content coming out in that form as well but this was always meant to be and intended as a feature film probably in the two hour 210 variety something of that nature
0: right right okay so your initial idea to the, the film and when you were pitching that right so what what was that experience
1: like for you yeah it's it's interesting I think I think it's different for everyone right I mean Hollywood is filled with wonderful ideas and a lot of them eventually end up on some canvas whether it be television film theatrically sometimes on stage whatever it might be Uh, for me because I've been so enamored with the feature film medium um, I decided okay, what films kind of enamor me to filmmaking? And two seminal films that a lot of our tonality and themes are based on, uh, Michael Mann's Heat, uh, Martin Scorsese's The Departed. These are just, these are films that make my heart dance. So Mm -hmm. uh, this is the type of filmmaking that I would like to be associated with going forward. Just gritty, visceral cinema, uh, even that might even touch on film noir tendencies, things like the Coen Brothers' No Country for All Men. So I, I developed this, This story uh, of two brothers that, due to a tragic childhood accident, they get separated and then they lead disparate lives. One becomes this uh, groom for promotion, relentless police officer, and he grows up on the straight and narrow. The other one ends up leading a life of crime. His father, who's in jail, grabs him through his tentacles and network, and he grows up as this mastermind criminal. And the film picks up 25 years later, where these two boys are on a collision course to collide. And that's kind of the elevator pitch for the the story tendencies that we're trying to tell in the greater feature length film. So when I was pitching it uh, in industry circles about three, four years ago, I was, there's there's multiple concepts with this film. The story itself is what I just told you, but I've also been very much inspired by people like uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon or Sylvester Stallone, where they were able to herald their writing as filmmakers, to use it to advance their acting in the industry. Mm. And I'm trying to do the same thing with this project. So we went an industry circle to pitch it. I told a lot of the film financing development executives and so on and so forth that I'm trying to do the same thing as these other actors that I so admire with this feature film uh, concept. And they indicated to me, you know, the best thing you can do is somewhat what a lot of others have done before you, where try to create a proof of concept, try to engender the project to very good cast to surround yourself with. And then from there, you can project the project into its ultimate light, and then use that future proof of concept to eventually get the feature film developed. So now that we're at this concept being completed at 40 minutes, we're now starting to proliferate the exhibition, the distribution of it, to now rally around industry circles to finally get this final push where the feature film goes into development. It's been an odyssey, Kevin, I can tell you. It's a lot of steps.
0: I can imagine, man. I can definitely imagine. Like, What was the, the initial um, feedback on the script itself? So were people gravitating to the story that you'd written?
1: Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, humbly speaking the the reviews of those that have read the script to date uh have been very very strong um William Monahan is a writer I I spoke with him like a year ago actually because his writing on The Departed even though that was based on another project but he did such a great job Mm -hmm. at that that film right And that story and uh there's a lot of underpinnings in this story that are semblant of that type of writing again like visceral cinema where it's there's a lot of broken family and the shards of that and the redeeming qualities and the challenges that are inherent in that. So when I initially submitted to industry circles, uh, we invited one agent. I indicated he felt it was like one of the top 12 scripts he's, he's read in the industry in probably 30 years. And I, I thought, okay, I hope that's not hyperbole or, you know, maybe there was other reasons for him to want to sign us and things like that. But, that that made me happy, but at the same time, I mean, you don't rest on laurels like that. It's just part and parcel of the process, right? Mm-hmm. The underlying material is good. You always have to start off with a sound script. I hope that we've arrived somewhere at a modicum of, you know, a standard where people will look at it, read it, consider it, or they think, you know what? When it actually maintains its visual presence, it will capture audiences or people will come away with feeling something from it. That's really the ultimate goal. So I think the feedback's been good so far, but it's just, again, another stage in the process. There's so much work to go. Right,
0: right. Now, when you're talking about this project, right, and you're using, you know, films like The Departed, Heat, things like that, as your kind of examples of... Is there a worry that people will, because those are great films, right? Those have, you know, won awards, acclaim, just they've stood the, the test of time, right? So holding your project up to that window, that people may misjudge it, right, because, because they're looking at these seminal features and then you've got this new guy coming. It's just like, yo, who the fuck is this, right? Trying to say <laughs> he's like these motherfuckers, right? And so I think sometimes people, because you can have a great thing, but because they're judging it against these other great things, they're now downgrading yours, right? So was there a fear of something... Like that, or just looking or having people think he's trying to do this, right? Is he trying to regurgitate
1: these stories? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm sure a lot of things, you know, I would have to go back probably, you know, I've probably written and rewritten the script probably close to 40 times, right? I mean, the work's never done. It's just when you Mm. kind of shut the computer down or put down the pen, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Kevin fear or anxiety or you know restlessness when it comes to like you know how how is your work going to be perceived how are you going to be perceived as an artist and like you said like if you set lofty standards like that where your project is representative of seminal films that came before it I think I guess our approach is you want every project to stand on its own merits right so that's great that you've got tonal representative works that you're referencing, but at the same time, you know, each project, it's got its own emotions. It's got its own touch points, uh, touchstones that you want the audience to resonate with the pressure. I think of that, I don't think I, I have allowed it to kind of have to allow myself to pivot because here's the way I see it. A lot of people want to be associated with that time of filmmaking like the the films that you know you can pop in every year and just watch them over and over you already know what's going to happen but because they touch you on such a deep visceral level if you can participate in cinema like that I think that's what we're all here to do so I think um I, and, and I don't mean that as any means of disrespect to filmmakers that have got clout of that stature that have been making films for 20 30 40 years that's like That's hero time for me. I mean, I put people like that up on such a pedestal because to execute at that level, to make you feel that way, I think the average viewer doesn't understand how much work goes into that. Uh, Even if we can arrive at a quarter of that type of execution, I I would be more than fulfilled. Uh, I think you aim high and then you end up somewhere in that kind of stratosphere, you know, at least you'd hope. Well, I mean, listen,
0: if you weren't aiming high, I'd be like, "Yo, Jordan, man, what's going on?" You know what I mean? Because because it's just like I even like those films that flop. Right, no one's going in trying to make a flop, right? No one's trying to make something that's terrible. It's just sometimes things catch fire. Sometimes things resonate. Right. I remember um, John Carter. Oh, right. I enjoyed the hell out of John Carter, but did it didn't do it. Now I say partly because the marketing was trash. Like I I I hate trailers, man, because I think sometimes trailers give away the film. Yes, you know what I mean. Like, did you watch? Um, it's a, it's a tangent, man. I do it sometimes, but we'll we'll get back to where we're getting. But did you ever watch that Jordan Peele film? Um. The yeah. one with the opposite people.
1: Oh yeah, uh, that's what they had—the scissors in the market. Yes, yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, can't remember what the hell it was called. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. No disrespect to Jordan Beale. he's fantastic. <laughs> oh man, it's a great film. Oh, it's yeah, it's so good. But I think I know what you're saying. The trailer—you found that it was too revelatory, right? Well, the, I I didn't,
0: I didn't watch the trailer. I avoid trailers for the most part. And, but once I'm, I'm you know, I've, I've reviewed it. So I'm trying to compile all the information for the website. So I pulled the trailer and as I'm pulling the trailer, it starts play and they show a bit where the girl's looking at the mirror. And I'm like, that's too close, man. You're kind of, you're pointing people in the right direction. And for me, when I was watching it, because I had no clue I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? I was just like, yo, what is this? And it's great, right? Having that feeling where you're just completely caught off guard, you're blown away, right? That's incredible. Because I remember, like, it all stemmed because you're back in the day, right? So, The Matrix and Gladiator. Oh wow! I had I had no clue what The Matrix was. A friend called me up one day. It's like, you want to go to cinema? I'm just like, yeah, I've got nothing to do. I don't know what's out, though. He's like, oh, there's a film called The Matrix. I'm like, yeah, um, all right, whatever. I've got nothing better to do. So I'm sitting there, and it just opens up. I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is so great. But Thank I had you. no clue going in right? I had no clue about Gladiator. I'd heard about Gladiator a year or so before, but I'd forgotten. And then you walk in, and you've got that big battle in Germany starting off with the arrows. And I think that's such a great experience, you know? But I think trailers give away so much. So it's just like, I forget what my original point is, Jordan. But yeah, trailers, man, they're, they're irritating. But John Carter, yes, John Carter. It. No one knew what it was. There's the trailers all over the place. So I think people were like, oh, is this fantasy? Is this sci-fi? Is this a drama? What? What is this? But I think if you had pushed it in the right direction, people would have seen that. Because it's a good film. It was a lot of fun. You know, and I think that is the, the the problem a lot of time, right? Because you make something and you don't really know. You don't know what it's going to do. You know, it, it can flop, it can succeed. So people will write things. They'll They'll make a project and they'll hope it's good. But sometimes they just, it's just not. But I think as long as you're making something, that you feel proud of that you know you put everything you've got into it there's no half measures you know what i mean you're you're not like yeah let's just go home early today it's just like no 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 let's get this scene right if you've done that it's all golden man like fuck what anyone else says you know what i mean because you're people right. will always try and pull you down
1: yeah, you're making great points. You know, the, the Wachowski siblings, that's such a, that's a landmark film. I mean, you and I, it seems like, I think we like a lot of similar titles, similar filmmaking, the movies you're referencing. And Gladiator, I mean, Ridley Scott is probably the director that I admire the most because very few are making cinema. I mean, I think he shoots with like eight, nine cameras at once. He always comes under budget at like such a significant um a production structure that I mean, he can make probably whatever he'd like because mm. uh, he'll turn on box office. But the way that he makes it, I think that's 40 years of experience or whatever it is, probably even more that allows him to shoot like that. His films are incredible and he really uh he attached himself to great writers. But to your point on the trailers, you're right. I think actually teasers are probably more effective. Mm. When you get, when you walk into a cinema knowing very little about a project and then you just almost get, it's so abrupt the way that you can get stunned by it and moved and affected. You know, it's so, str- when you, it's ironic actually. When you're making a film, you're developing it, you're thinking, okay, this resonates with me, but I also want other people to feel something from it. Then you're shooting it. You get a high in the shooting phase. Like I always say when I'm on set as an actor, I mean, you, you come prepared to set, you got your lines. I, sometimes you giggle because it's almost like you almost feel like you're getting away with something because it's you're working from a place of imagination and creativity. You don't know what's going to happen in the moment. You don't telegraph performance. At least that's the training that I've had. And then a lot of happy accidents happen, surprises. And if you're leading with that all the way through the process, once the film is done in editing, they, sometimes you find the film in editing as well. It's almost like there's a movie that you write. As they say, there's a movie that's shot and there's a movie that's edited and there's like three films in there, Mm. probably even more, actually, when you think about it, when the viewer sees it, if they come in without any common or carnal knowledge of what the, the content is going to be, I actually think that that's a welcome feeling. And it's so rare these days, right? Because we're so dominated by marketing and visibility and exposure of everything. Because we've got to compete with all kinds of things between branding and content, and other films. It's so difficult. It's a lot of noise, right? So I, I tend to agree with what you're saying, Kevin. Mm. Yeah, I think that Jordan Peel. I think
0: it just came you. I think it was called you. Was it you? Yeah, I think yeah. Then it's called you. I think it was called you. (laughs) Uh, Now, I I think studios and people get scared, right? Because they think, we just spent all of this money on something. So we need people to know. We need them to know there's these funny bits in it. And, oh, there's this twist in it. And there's this. So you want to come see it. So I think they they give out so much information when it's just like, yo, you, you just give someone the kernel of the idea, right? Yeah. It, it, it's like, because I don't know about you, Jordan, right? But with this whole strike situation and people pulling films off the schedule because they're like, the stars aren't there to promote it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you could still put those films out because if a story is good, People are going to come see it regardless of if it's got big name actors, actresses in it, right? It's just like the story needs to be good. So you give people that that itch, you give them that little idea, that indicator of what they could be in store for, people will come, right? People will come.
1: Yeah, you would think, I I think in most cases, I think you're right. But there are a couple... I would say a couple things on this though, that I also think while you're saying that, I mean, there's films on like my, everyone's got a favorite list or whatever. Right. So gladiator matrix that those are definitely on my list, by the way, great choices. But I think even look at Shawshank Redemption. That's probably one of the better written films and better executed films in terms of emoting feeling in oh, it's tremendous on the spectrum. It's great. Right. So when it came out, it's box office, I think is dwarfed compared to its success on home DVD, TBS, TNT, when it got syndicated and then streaming platforms, it became more popular. Not, it didn't start as a cult following because it was a mainstream release, but you gain popularity for a film that was so strong and well executed after it's theatrical run or look at Mm. heat long running time. One of my favorite films ever. It's so great. Michael Mann is so talented that film, I don't think, it didn't win any Academy Awards. And it's it's strange because some people, I don't know if they avoid the theaters, they don't go to the theaters, they miss it, it's the time of year that it comes out. Sometimes it takes a long time in a film's exhibition gestation for it to gain success later on down the road. So it's weird too. Hollywood, in my opinion, is not a meritocracy. Everyone is working so hard to make films of stature and they want to share their work and give it away to an audience. But sometimes a film doesn't find an audience or it doesn't find it early enough. And it takes a long time for the return on investment to happen on the production company or studio side. And it's sometimes hard for the filmmaker to get heralded with immediacy because it just It takes time for people to recognize it or find it or or word of mouth to travel. It's it's very, very strange, right?
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. I think something that's heard it is cinema right now. Because uh, back in the day, right, everyone would be like, cinema is the cheap date, right? Or it's the cheap thing to do with your friends. I remember as I was growing up, for five pounds, right, I could get the, the train to the, the the cinema. I could get a cinema ticket, go across the street, buy a bag of like penny sweets and a panda pop, right? And, and I'm, I still have some change, right? For five pounds. Now it's like you're dropping 30 pounds to just for the cinema. That's without travel, that's without food, without if you want snacks or anything. So the, the price of going to the cinema has gone up so much, right? The cost of, like, I used to work in a cinema, I was at uni, right? And a bag of, like, M&Ms, which is, here, let's just say they were 80p. Mm-hmm. In the cinema, They're they, I think they were, like, 250. So mm-hmm. it's over 100% markup on the price. and And it's things like that that, Hurt the cinema, right? And, and so, if people just like, I can't afford to go to the cinema, right? So then they they wait, right? And so then no one's going to the cinema. So the box office is coming down, and then it, things are getting held as a flop, and then it's just like, oh, we can't make these type of films, and we can't do this and it's all this weird thing. I think people need to like the ecosystem is broken in a way. And more partnerships need to be made to enable people to enjoy what's being
1: produced. You know, you're making very, very provocative points. You know, the I remember it's funny in my mind, my mom used to tell me my parents were immigrants from Italy after World War Two. Right. So they ended up emigrating to Canada my mom said there was like one one cinema in the town that we grew up in London, Ontario, Canada, which is kind of in between Toronto and Detroit. And she would tell me, you go downtown to the cinema, it's got all the flashy lights. And she goes, it would cost like a quarter to go like to the sit and then you would like, you would scrounge your change to be able to like, I can't wait to go with my sisters or my friends Mm -hmm. cinema or like the latest Elvis Presley album that comes out and you just want to spend a few dime. You want to buy that and then listen to it in your garage or something. We're so far removed from that now. I mean, when you look at how much the world has changed in just like half a century, it's incredible. And, and what you were saying before, too, I kind of agree with you, Kevin. Like, distribution is like a complicated jungle. Like, if you look at distribution companies, the studios themselves, and how much money they put in promotion and marketing and distribution, then you have foreign sales agents and how to get films proliferated across global markets. And now the increasing importance of like global box office to a film's ultimate success, quote unquote, Mm. and it's metrics. Like, you know, people say it's a pendulum. It'll kind of swing this way. Now it's too much. Then it kind of shifts back and you find some sort of a mean, I don't know where we're going. Like, you know, it used to be such an event and I don't think I like Christopher Nolan and Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese and a lot of the leaders, in our industry and how they herald the fact that there's no other experience when you're watching a film like the visual canvas in an auditorium with strangers and you're all realizing it in real time and then you're experiencing that and everyone is emoting there's something very sacred about that it's just that when it becomes cost prohibitive like you said i think everyone needs to revisit like is this the way forward? Because if you think about it, look at what you just said. You spend $15 on a Netflix subscription, and that's great. You get access to a whole library of films. You pay that for one month, or you can spend $30 to go watch something on IMAX. Mm-hmm. I can see one film for 30, which is double the cost of having a whole library for 30 days. I don't know what the answer to that is. It's just, it makes it increasingly harder to find the patchwork of making a project successful, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that's the, that's the problem. And, you know, like, people moan about day and date release, which I don't really think is a problem. Right? I don't think it's a problem because in an ideal world, people want to go to the cinema. Like because it's that experience. I remember going to um, oh god, I think it was Endgame, not Infinity Wars, but there was a bit when then just all the heroes like come together to go get Thanos, and everyone just like yeah, and this you know just like that that bit in Civil War when Spider Man turns up, everyone's like what. And you just hear that roar in the place, or like just a film where it's that hilarious moment and just everyone is laughing and you might turn to the person next to you and you're just both grinning, be like, that was, right? It's those things why people go to the cinema. Right when you leave the screen and everyone's like, "Oh my god, what was your favorite?" When that happened, when ah, oh, I remember coming out of Karate Kid Three as a little kid, and everyone's just like,
2: "Yeah, yeah, I want to learn, mom, mom, can I go learn karate?" And I'm yeah, I'm
0: feeling smug because I was doing judo at the time. I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I can already do that shit. I can't, but in my head I could, right? But it's it's those things, like coming out of Black Panther and just every kid, black, white, Chinese, Indian, it didn't matter, but they were throwing up the arms, of forever, right? It was just those joyous moments, right? That's why we go to the cinema, man. And I think you always want that. You You always want to grasp that. So I think whether you go every week, every month, or even, you know, a few times a year, you still look forward to those occasions. So I don't think cinema will die, even though you hear that rhetoric, cinema's dying, cinema's, I don't think cinema will
1: die. You can price it out, right? But it won't die. It's so true. You know, it's fun, Kevin, other moments that came to my mind when he said that, you almost got me excited. So that. <laughs> I remember I saw Sixth Sense, M Night Shyamalan, and uh, I I don't want to give it away for anyone that listens that hasn't seen Sixth Sense. You should see Sixth Sense, by the way. It's first time you see you can never recreate that feeling. But the collective gasp at like the reveal or Usual Suspects. Oh Oh my my God! The first like at the end, like when you see what like that just stays with you. Or Mm. I remember Matrix Reloaded or Revolutions, the hot that whole highway segment when Neil comes in and he's like, you know, flying like a rocket and he grabs Trinity and does that twist and circle. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like the collective gasp in the audience. How can you recreate that outside that environment? You can't like mm. that, that make that heart beating stuff. Like that's, that's akin to like being on a roller coaster, or, like some gravity machine or skydiving. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be about. Right. Like, I mean, Oh man. Yeah.
0: Great stuff. Yeah, and you can have the best home setup, right? Yeah. But there is something about being in a custom-built auditorium where the sound is phenomenal, the speakers are huge, right? And you just get hit by this wash of sound excellence, right? Have you seen The Harder They Fall?
1: I don't think I've seen that.
0: Yo, Jordan, you need to go watch Harder They Fall. It I'm is. Right I'm It's about. phenomenal. It's on Netflix, right? James Samuels, I think you pronounce it James. He he, it's his feature directorial debut. He's got a new film coming called Book of Clarence, Twelfth of January. People mark it in the calendar, right now. They there's a there's a spot in London called the Royal Festival Hall. It is phenomenal, right? I've, I've seen so much music there—classical, rap, so many different genres. But it's such a great venue, you awesome. know what I mean? And the 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 London Year Look London Film Festival that this year they had it. They were doing screenings in the Royal Festival Hall for the first time, and the harder they fought, opened up the festival. And there's a bit in it. Right, it's this Western, and there's this bit in it, and the guy's got the rifle, and he's hitting it on the ground, right? And as the the butt of the rifle's hitting the ground, then you get the boom, boom yeah, and the bass, and the way he's integrated the music into the scene, amazing! Oh my god, it's incredible! It's in. Incredible, and he he's done similar similar stuff with the Book of Clarence, which is just so good. Just it's the marriage of music and action and cinematography. It's when you see something come together in a way like this, you understand what film is right? And, and I think it's those occasions why you just keep on coming back over and over again, because you just, you know I mean? It, it, it's like you hear people talk about shit like heroin, right? You're chasing that dragon. You want to hit, get that high again. And when you've seen a great film, you just feel like, oh, I want to see another one. I want to see another
1: one. I want to
0: see another one. And you're just chasing it. That's
1: so great. Yeah. I, I, I recommend to listeners or viewers, you know, uh, avoid arrow and watch movies. I think that's really <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. O- obviously, people, that's the that's, that's the message, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know, <laughs> it's a lot like, cheaper for you as well. That's exactly, yeah. But you know, <laughs> you're right though, like it's funny. We think of okay, something's projecting on a screen, but if you look at all the components that have to come together to be able to create what you're watching, and but then how what you're watching with all its elements kind of imbues or infuses what you feel from it. Like, you know, the importance of music or music composition in the visual frame, like just sometimes the violins or the pianos, or you've got the symphony going off. Like, it's just, it's all your senses being targeted by that. And again, if you get the benefit or the fortune of the big format with the screen and again other people are seeing it i mean sometimes how many times you've been in a cinema where you look to the person beside you you don't even know them and then like a tear is coming down their cheek and you're like wow i'm actually getting choked up so this i'm not the only person that's feeling this and then other people are like you know they they stand up out of their seats and shout like it it is an amazing medium Mm. it is there's nothing like it i love kevin your passion for film like even this, what you're doing here, just even in your dialogue and discussions with different filmmakers, you're actually having a role in nurturing film, like, and it's continuation and it's important. So I'm really glad that you do this because your passion is off the charts. It's very, very discernible.
0: I mean, I, I don't know, man. It, it's just one of those, I love storytelling, you know, yeah. I, I in just all its different forms. And when you can connect with a story in a certain way, there's just a magic to that.
1: That's right. Right.
0: It's just like when you think back to being a kid and some of the the great films that you watch. Like I remember watching the I think it was 1977, right? Um, the the Lord of the Rings cartoon.
1: Oh gosh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember and and they used that I think it was called rotoscoping.
2: Yeah. Where they
0: kind of animate, they they kind of traced the film and made it the cartoon. And it was this weird, crazy effect. And like man, so we just had the, the the video of it like as a kid growing up. So we got this video and it was creepy, but it was so good so good and you just remember these different ways of trying to tell stories right and just all of these different things just stick with you and it's just fascinating right and it's like leaving the screen you always have these questions be like oh i wonder why they did that or man, that was a great thing. How did they come up with that idea? So it was just like having this opportunity to talk to people, right? And have those discussions and find out, right? Like, what was the idea? What was the concept? Where did that come from? Like, how did someone think of that visual style? Right? How did you create this story? It's just, such a joy to have these kind of conversations, right? And, and talk to people about their passions, and you know, and speaking to people like yourself who are just early in the game, as it were. You know, what I mean, I know you're not technically early in game. You've been doing this thing from, you know, I mean twenty nine, two thousand and nine. I mean, that's your first acting. Sure, but it's just like, but even the type. But that's the crazy thing, right? Two thousand and nine is the first film you were in. Mm-hmm. But all the years to get to that point, right? It's a long journey. So being able to talk to people about yo, how did your journey start? Like, where did this come from? Like, where's this passion? Right? It is.
1: It's so interesting. It's so interesting. It's such a pleasure. You know, it's a, no, I I appreciate you for recognizing that, and yeah, I guess having that feeling come out of you like that, you know, it's, it is magical and wonderful though. It does tap into something that's very deep within us. You're right too. I think, I think we're addicted to storytelling. I think like there's something tribal about us. Like even we're going way, way back. I'm sure I can almost picture it. Like people are on a campfire. Who knows? Like Neanderthals or early man or woman, like they're, they're, Dialoguing somehow Even making sounds or painting Or mm. doing something Like it taps into Something that is Close to our identity or something I don't know what that is It's the way we're made I think Kevin you know But it's um, yeah. It's one of the more beautiful things I think That something can reach you at that Kind of authentic level And I, I don't know songs can do that You know they kind of give you a sense of place And time where I was in my life when this mm. came and movies i think are like that as well good books are like that too but it's always aspects like works of creativity that can do that you know yeah yeah and when you you know you think about those
0: early cave paintings right hieroglyphic hieroglyphics (laughs) hieroglyphics yes Thank you, Jordan. I was just trying to bring you into the conversation, you know. What I mean, I, I pretend I'm fluffing a word, you know. What I mean, <laughs> but there's like still paintings which are great, you know, you, they can invoke so much. But those early things, it's always a story, yeah. right? They're always telling something, whether it's a story about a battle or telling people, it's relaying information, right? So, those early things that we've seen that this stories early stories you know the way people like look at the stars and be like oh that's I don't know what the stars are but there's always a thing right a constellation is a thing but there's a story behind it sure right and so I think as you said we, we we've always had that right we've always had this affinity and love for stories and so it's just Finding those new ways to tell them and to connect with people to get them engrossed in this stuff, like that's it's amazing. That, that's so crazy. Like for you, what what do you think? There's you know, you, you said like he and um departed were two great films that you love, but what do you think was maybe the genesis for this that kind of started you down this road can you can you think of anything which you saw and
1: you were just like man i'd love to do that you know yeah it's so interesting like you get you you get wrapped up in projects and gigs and work and things and then you go back and you're like I don't know, you, you think of the origin, like what, what prompted you on that path, right? And I think every every project is different. I think every artist is different. I, I think for me, Kevin, there's a couple things here. Obviously, you know, you see influential things and then you kind of tap into like, what made me be moved by that so much? And then uh, see, the type of cinema you might like might be different than the guy down the street or the woman at a different workplace. Like it's all different, right? And it, mm. it's all capturing us on different levels. Part of the gestation of like this project or projects, like I mean, I've I've written now four feature-length screenplays that we're we're gonna get traction on even after we promote this and ideally get this thing fully developed and financed and get it moving. But you know, I, I've got things that I have to get out of me. Like it, it's interesting. So my parents. This is probably the best way I can explain. It. My parents were immigrants. Okay. And I mean, there's so many people that have got, you know, immigrant lineage in their family heritage, right? It's not an uncommon story, but I remember like they leave Italy and their countries are ravaged. I mean, bombs have destroyed everything. My, my grandfather was like out of the hurt locker, like he had a bomb disposal unit. People in his unit died. He's one of the few that survived. My other grandfather became a prisoner of war. So he ended up in Argentina. He didn't go back to his family the grandfather that did like the Hurt Locker bomb disposal work, he ended up going to Brazil, South America. Like, where am I going to pause at my family? Mm. How the Europe is devastated? So they end up in, in, in Canada. And I see my dad, like, you know, as a child, your parents are so significant, right? When you're growing up, like they're your heroes. Like you model yourself after them. You, you repeat things that they do, like your motor learning, all these things. And then I see my dad, like he's clamoring for a father that he didn't grow up amongst, right? Because his dad ended up staying in Argentina. And I had to express this, like get it out of me, like distanced family, separated family. And like, what does that hold for people that go through these experiences? So I tapped into my creative spirit, trying to focus on that. And I kind of created a story with these two brothers, like I mentioned earlier, that have to go through that feeling and the challenges in that. But also it's, you know, as a working actor, you know, you keep knocking on doors, right? Kind of like I said in the beginning, like I started an independent film in 2009. I mean, I was stage acting since I was like a little boy, my, my grandfather, the one that disposed bombs, he became the president of an Italian social club in Canada and they would do plays around the holidays. And then he would have like his daughters act, including my mom, and they'd be on stage. And they would always cast me as like the baby Jesus and, you know, these small stage productions and all these things. And then I was always the token little boy in like the stage plays. And then acting and performing were part of my life from a very young age. And then I did a little bit as a teenager and kind of left it. And I went back eventually after 2007, eight, nine. I always kind of had that part of me, but you're doing it. There's a lot of knocking on doors to get opportunities. You go on auditions and then sometimes you get roles, sometimes you don't. And then it's, you know, right back to the beginning of the circuit again. And then you keep knocking and you audition and prepare and go to acting class in school. I, I just, I started realizing, I'm like, there are stories that I'm contributing to as an actor. And some of them are a lot of stories that I want to tell, but there's other stories that I also want to originate that I identify with on a more potent level. Mm. i I, I took that idea of like let's try to do it from a multi-hyphenate standpoint where you can imbue more of yourself in the creative process to be able to express yourself both with the written word the performing and then the actual physical film production and i mean it's hard to do one two or three like many people have done this prior and it's it's a very very strong challenge right but if you want to if you want to make sure that the final result is expressed in the way that you want it expressed, there is no other way to do it. Like you've got to invite collaboration, other ideas that are going to elevate the material, but it's, I think that's really what the impetus was in addition to looking at seminal films and saying, why did that translate a certain way for me? And that of course imbues your writing and the storytelling that you want to be associated with. Right. That's the best way I can explain it. Yeah, no, that makes
0: uh, a lot of sense, right? Because you see it in so many different fields, like in comic books, right? Where you have the artists and writers working at, you know, Marvel, DC, other big publishing houses, and then thinking, I love these stories, but I don't own any of these. I'm not able to take the story in the direction that I might want to take it because, you know, this publishing house, they've got this idea to do this thing next year. So I have to do this to my story. So they're like, let's do create our own. Let's let's make our own stuff. Right. Then I can take it where I want to take it. Right. So I think, yeah, it makes sense to you know, want to get behind a camera to, you know, put pen to paper to do all of that stuff. So then you have that vehicle that you've been able to craft how you want it to be crafted, right? Where the characters do the things where you're like, because yeah, when you're acting in something, and it's like, oh, we want you to do this. And you might think, I I don't know if he he would do that, but Mm -hmm. that's the job that's the job you're given so you're like all right that's what i'm gonna do but then you can you know do your own and you can have the character do something completely different do the thing where you wanted that character to do go on that journey you wanted them to go on
1: that's a great point Kat. but you know and kevin i and I, I don't want listeners or viewers also to get the wrong idea as well It, i mean it starts off as a solo journey right because You've got an idea, you want to translate it, and then you get it out of yourself and you express it. And then you're like, okay, there's something here. And it's never quite finished and it can always be refined, but filmmaking, in my opinion, no matter what guys you're participating in, whether you're a writer, editor, you're a gaffer on set, you're a production designer, you're a script supervisor, filmmaking is all an invitation for collaboration. I mean, Mm. you cannot do it yourself. It's an exercise in humility. Uh, like everything's going to go wrong. It's an, it's an act of constant problem solving. Like what you grow through what you go through. Let's, let's go with that. Like it's, it is a, a journey of 10,000 steps and things are going to go wrong and things don't go the way you think. And you rely on your partners. Sometimes you got to pick them up and they pick you up and to participate to that degree with something that's so emotional. To me, it is such a privilege and an honor that I have not found in anything else. Like, I can't even describe to you. Like, even when you were saying before, like, it's amazing how people work so hard in a film. And for whatever reason, it doesn't translate properly. It doesn't make money. It doesn't get a return on investment. Viewers don't get something out of it. And they're like, why? Why is that a flop? Like, I got something out of it if people understood how much work goes into films that even are considered flops or they they don't just don't have execution success or monetary success, someone has devoted their heart and soul to that for five to seven years, if not more, like, that's why I'm not too critical of films that don't resonate with me. Like after it's done, I'm like, all right, like, good job. He or she that worked on that. And, you know, I, I hope the next one, you know, goes even better for you, but I don't think the average viewer realizes the work that has to be devoted to even things that don't gain the success. Like people, everyone should jump on a film project at some point just to see what it's like, because it's. Uh, I think people's perspective would be influenced in a different way.
0: Possibly,
1: I think. I think. <laughs> it, I, well, no,
0: there's the things, right? I think it will, for that period of time. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, and then once they're away from it, then they'll go, revert it's back. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I Literally. mean that's that's the problem. It'd be like, man, this is so tough. Boy, I didn't think about it like this. Man, I respect all of these people, and then they'll go to the cinema a few months later and be like, Oh god, obviously they didn't do anything with this, they just that's you know what I mean? It will just it's, it's that out of sight, out of
1: mind kind of thing, I think. True, you know? And you know, it's funny with film too. I think audiences, they, they don't, I mean, the, you don't want to give them too much about the magic behind like the curtain, right? But do you know a lot of film, what you see on screen is just as much about what you show as it is about what you hide or don't use? Because mm. I mean, look at there's seminal filmmakers like Martin Scorsese. I mean, he's got Thelma as editor that's like a marriage right when you're in the editing room and you're a director and you know you've got to cobble together like what am I going to use like what fits the frame and the the stage and storytelling that we're at and how you find the film in that process you can probably make another three films that are you know they've got a different point of view or perspective based on what you don't use yeah so it's like the, the finding of the film in terms of how you want to tell the story, if people even had a sense of like what's, what goes into that, it, it the whole thing is just a fascinating construct. Yeah. I, I do think some of that would be a big
0: benefit for indie films, right? If, if you put out some of that content, right, that shows the journey of, then people get that connective tissue right Mm -hmm. They, they, you know they they build that empathy with you on your journey because they've seen it they've been there for these periods of time with you i think that could definitely be a beneficial thing for a lot of indie cats to kind of help you know create a connection with the viewers
1: it's a great point yeah it's a really great point and you know you're right like the independent cinema doesn't get the same acclaim obviously as studio made product right i mean it's and, and not to say one is better than the other i mean it's just it's different scale right how mm-hmm. like, stories and it, like usually it's lower budgets you know they're you the stereotype is that they're known for character driven journey in the storytelling not that studio films are not but i think the size and scope and scale is so different right it's like apples to oranges but you're right. That that might be a supportive means for independent filmmakers to be able to, again, allow viewers or audiences to gain more of a sense of their art. I, I mean, I participate in a lot of independent cinema. It's hard to get eyes on what you're doing, right? Because you don't have the promotional budget. You, like after the film is made, you're usually bleeding money or you're running out of it. and you hope that maybe you kind of you're at the point where, OK, that we met the budget. It's great. But now it's like now we got this whole distribution thing. And then how do you get eyes on it? and what platform and is it only going to be one platform and there's no theatrical release or it, it's just that the challenges are more rife in that process. So I think that's a great idea if someone could come up with a way to do what you're you're claiming for.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's so many ways because when I see because I, I, I work in communications marketing in the day job. Right. And so when you see the budgets. Like the marketing budget for films is oh just, God. I, I don't know what you did with that money yeah. because what I see, you haven't done a lot, right? You you haven't done the things you could do to push this film, but they've spent like two million or, or something crazy, and it's just like, what are, what are we doing here? You know. So I, I think there's really interesting ways to kind of promote something but it's just they're not really being utilized which i can understand because you know that like you you've spent all your time making this thing as an it like in an indie context you spent all of this time making it trying to get the money to fund it you, you're not gonna be a, a you know a marketing expert So it's just, you're you're just trying to think of things to do. So make, you know, I get it, but I think there's definitely ways and collaborations that could be had, which, you know, we can see
1: people start to flourish more. You know? You know, that's a really, it's a great point. You know, it's amazing. Like some people are so great at creating art but then they may be a bit lacking maybe, or they don't have the experience on the promotional or the business side. I mean, our, our project, so my publicist, Amy Prenner, I think she mm. even got this opportunity. She's wonderful. Like she oh, she's great.
0: Well, I've worked with her before. She's yeah, really, she's wonderful. Really nice person.
1: I, I've got Colleen Angelis, a really dear friend and colleague. You know, she, she does tremendous amount of development work in the promotional space. Um, you know, she freelance a lot in publicity. Erin Escobar is our you know, promotional development coordinator. You, you have to have a team of people that have these skills to be able to strategize in terms of like what is gonna help the film, like to nurture it so that it gains, you know, eyes on it. So that, you know, p- again, if enough people see what you work on you make the film because you have to express and you have to deliver a message. And there's something that you want to say. And and that, and that's, and there's a beautiful thing in that. But the thing I remember in acting school, I I went to the Baron Brown studio for the dramatic arts in Santa Monica and I learned Meisner training and there's other studios I've went to as well. I've audited at Playhouse West and Margie Aber's studio. These are all wonderful places in Los Angeles where you can learn the craft and a lot of them. And, especially Joanne Barron, she's the, I mean, the leader of the Baron Brown studio. She used to always say, you know, you could be the greatest in your craft, but if you're doing it in your living room and there's no audience, your potencies will be lacking because mm. tomorrow, now what are you doing it for? That's great for your own self-expression, but we do art to be able to share it. And the publicity side, like you said, with the budgets and everything else, if you don't have that proper support after the finished product is there, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. something that doesn't develop to the extent that it could. It's almost like a failed promise in a way or unnurtured creativity. And that to me, that there's more sadness around that than anything else. Like I really feel bad because there's a lot of great working artists out there that, they don't, you know, they've got a voice, but it doesn't command the reception maybe that it should. Like, there's so much great art out there, Kevin. Oh so my gosh! Great, yeah. You know?
0: yeah, no, definitely. And I think
1: it's, as
0: you say, it's an important thing to work with people, right? To mm-hmm. to be able to bring these things to life because you can't do everything on your own, and other people have great ideas that can just strengthen what you do. You know, like with this film, because you co-directed it with Ibrahim Nada, right? Yes. How did that come
1: about? Yeah, so yeah. when I wrote the feature length screenplay, I had work. Ibrahim Nada is a tremendous Egyptian independent filmmaker. As a director, I mean, his vision of the canvas and how he can translate visually the ideas off the page. He's tremendous. Aaron Alps, our cinematographer, is wonderful as well. At the Swedish International Film Festival, Brothers in Arms, we we won the Best Cinematography Award. And it's attributed, that's not me, Kevin. I mean, these are masters in craft that are emerging. These are tremendous filmmakers that I've worked with in the past and other projects two, three, four times. And they become friends and colleagues. And, you know, you jump on... Small projects sometimes, then you jump on independent films, then you jump on studio based projects, and then you look and observe. And then your downtime, you just kind of look at the set and you really gain a sense of everyone is working so hard. But sometimes you're fortunate to find people that they're just so good at their job. Mm. And then you're like, you know, I want to work with this person again. Or if I come up with a project, that's a person that I would have no qualms about referring to. So when I got this project, Finish at the script level, I was like, okay, I go through my professional Rolodex. Who do I want to invite to really see this thing be created to its ultimate standard? And, you know, Ibrahim was the first or second person on my list that I was like, you know what? He has that independent film spirit of what it's going to take to really translate this in the right way. And then Aaron is a tremendous cinematographer. I mean, he knows camera and he, he just, filters and lenses and camera bodies and sensors and you know how are we going to make this we shot this on an area alexa four by three camera with anamorphic lenses call it anamorphics i mean it's just for me that anamorphic alexa combination that's just that's the stuff that just kind of it makes me cry it makes my heart beat out of my chest i love the, the feeling that you get when you watch it with all the bokeh lights and everything else. And the climax of our film is, you know, on a cliff off of Mulholland drive in LA, you got all the lights in the background and these two brothers there and all their conflict. And that, that to me is the cinema that speaks the loudest. So I wanted to make sure to gain filmmakers and invite their inclusion and their collaboration, their ideas on this project, to really see it at the most heightened level that we can get it at. And that's really what we were aiming for. And anything that's good in the film, I always say, it's not hyperbole, it's because of their technical and creative expertise. I'm along for the ride and, you know, I, I try to contribute to put them in the best environment to succeed. And that, that's, I think what you're supposed to do as a producer.
0: Yeah, you know, definitely. I mean, not everyone really sings the praises of their collaborators though which they I should. think is a, is a big shame so i think it's always great when you see people do that right that, that will give flowers to all the people that have helped them create something absolutely you know kevin
1: it's funny too like you know okay people see you on the screen and then maybe you gain a following of some type and Okay, that's nice that people recognize and respect your work, but they have to understand, like, your performance is being enabled, you know, because of the 18 people that are behind the camera that the viewer doesn't see. Like, someone's got to make sure the set looks a certain way and the colors are vibing with, you know, whatever the emotions or themes in the scene are. And then someone's got to make sure that there's continuity so that things are not out of place. And then the camera framing's got to be a certain way to capture the emotion in the scene. It, like, I don't understand where sometimes the viewers or maybe even fellow actors think that they're the most important thing when they show up on set. I think we're just passing through. It's really the producer and director, when you really think about it, and then whatever production host or studio that is behind you supporting the project, they're the ones that are with it the longest. They're yeah. hiring everyone. and. They're allowing people to be put in positions where they they can succeed and execute. If you don't have all those pieces, the actor is not going to be there or the actress is not going to be there to be able to perform. And then sure enough, it's the audience that really resonates with them because they're going through the journey, identifying, you know, through the story, through the people that are going through it on screen, but it takes a village and you have to respect all those people in that process. They're there for you. You're there for them, but, no one can make the film without all the components together. That's why these strikes were so important. I think it cast a spotlight on the industry at large because some people got very upset. They're like, why are these people striking for so long? And other people got upset at the studios and we're all in a marriage together. Like it's just about sharing the pie and, you know, reasonableness and fairness and getting there together. And it becomes adversarial sometimes when things get out of whack. But you can't do things without those other components.
2: Mm. You're yeah, right.
0: definitely. I think mean, that's that's the big thing, right? And uh, when people understand that, and when people just hold each other up, right? That's that's golden. That's gold. And it's always interesting when you see certain directors, right? I think it's like um. JJ Abrahams, Christopher Nolan, Pete Jackson, Sam Rami, like you, you see that they work with a lot of the same actors and actresses and cinematographers and editors and composers. There's a, there's, there's a you know, this little contingent that moves together and you just think, oh, that must be such a great environment right that that room that collaboration must be so good that all of these people flock back to it time and time again and you just hope that when you're doing something you can
1: garner that same kind of environment absolutely you know it it's interesting so I haven't I haven't acted in a lot of Hollywood fil- I mean I, I was in a film called Aloha and we shot it in Hawaii I lived in Honolulu for well over 10 years which is a wonderful chapter in life and i was acting in independent films out there and uh i made a lot of good friends in the filmmaking community and also in the community fabric there it's wonderful shout out to hawaii it's a beautiful place but cameron crowe decided to shoot uh aloha as as his film there and uh, bradley cooper and emma stone rachel mcadams and Mm. john and Bill Murray and Alec Baldwin. There were so many wonderful actors and it was just a treat to even be on set to be able to pick their brains at a very early stage in my career and I remember I I, I was talking to some of the people that you know were working the carpenters on set or the people in camera department the people in the lighting department production design and a lot of them were saying like Cameron Crowe's wonderful director great human being as well um They were saying we've worked together for 25, 30 years, like it's a lot of the same team members. And, you know, we see our children grow up, we invite each other to barbecues. And I'm like, what a beautiful thing that is where you've got this working set of laborers contributing their own craft and you go to different parts of the world. But the the commonality, the continuity, the community is the people. That are on the set that are together and like I got you and then they can almost anticipate like he's got that I've done that with him seven times so it makes the set operate in a better way. Mm. Um, that really that was a great teaching point very early on because also you realize those people working together they're working at their utmost to put everyone that arrives on that set in the best position to succeed and that that that's a really beautiful thing um i don't know if people really recognize that or understand that because all they see is what's in the frame yeah but you don't see like everything that goes into that filmmaking process
0: yeah it's a funny thing right it's like when you look at a house and you think oh that's a great house like oh look at these nice windows and stuff but you don't think about the mortar between the bricks right, the nuts that are, you know, connecting all the joists together, you know, that that framework, all of those components of it, you're looking at the outside facade, you know, and I think that's with so many things, you know, it's like when stuff gets listed, a lot of the times, right, you see the writer, you see the director, the producers, some of the actors, right? You, and then the rest of the people, like right? you never see stunt people listed on oh, IMDb. Yeah. Right? Never see stunt people listed, which is insane. It's an insane thing that they don't get listed. There's not Oscars for stunt people in the the Oscars. Right. I think, well, you've got the main Oscar ceremony and then you've got the other one a few days before where, you know, the undesirable (laughs) categories (laughs) are handed out, which is so disrespectful, like so disrespectful. But it's always interesting when you look at those credits of a film, uh, like how things are listed and you've been like, wait, they haven't mentioned, huh? Like, why haven't? And, and it seems it's always kind of baffling to me that you're not
1: shouting out all of these other people who were there doing their thing. That's right. So that this is another thing that I don't know if you do this, Kevin. I mean, you seem to be a lover of film. I always stay until the end of the credits. I mean, that's obligate. that's part of the film. The credits for me, that's part of the film. Like you stay and you give deference, however you like the film or not you watch that scroll go down and then you give regard in so doing to the people that allowed that magic to translate like that, because I don't think anyone is more important or less important than anyone else on a film set. And, uh, you, uh, you give proper respect where it's due. And I think that's one of the best ways to do that. And you're right. I think the Academy, I think they're, they're working hard and I think they're doing their best. I mean, they have tremendous leadership where they're trying to give regard in different categories. Um, I mean, you don't, again, I don't think you do things for awards. Awards make process clear mm-hmm. when you get them. But, you know, we want to make sure that people are properly heralded in the filmmaking process when they're attached to works that have tremendous execution and feeling. So I hope that continues to adjust and it evolves to where there's more fairness because a lot of people feel uh, the same with your salient points as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean you've been on so many sets, right? Short films, feature films, TV, just all of these different things, right? And now now you you know, you're behind the camera. Right? So how have those past experiences helped you create the ambiance that you want on the set? right help create that connective tissue behind everyone that's contributing
1: yeah it's you know i think every set is i mean for me i i'm first and foremost an actor like film tv like that's that's where i live a, a lot of the gestation of this project is more to advance the acting so that you know the credibility that you can gain being part of different projects then you keep your advance and then you get to a certain point where you're like, now you can be a bit selective in terms of the projects that you'd like to devote your acting and your craft to. For me, it's always about that first and foremost, if you can write and then, you know, participate on the production side of the directing, I don't think I've got the lens to be like a full-time director. I mean, if I compare myself to Ebrim or others in the independent film space, some people just have that. Like it's, Mm. that's probably one of the hardest roles on any project because Usually it's the director's vision that the audience is really realizing in real time when you see a film for the first time. I would say this, when you're a producer, you have the greatest imprint in terms of who's invited on the project, what the focal point is going to be, uh, locations, uh, camera systems, lighting, lighting. So your influence over what the audience ultimately sees, in addition to what happens in the editing room or in the shoot phase, when the film's actually being filmed, the producer is like the top spot. I mean, you could say, okay, the executive producer, the production of studio, when you control the finances, of course, I mean, that's going to be a huge voice in the room. But I've commonly found usually uh, in the projects I've been associated with, The better projects occur where the studio is a bit more hands-off or the production company is a bit more hands-off to allow the director and the creative team to really express and translate in the manner that they see the project should be translated in, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you allow the creatives on the project to be able to tell the story the way that they want, usually the story will be executed that way. But on the producing side, there's a reason why, best picture Oscar, it's the producer that goes and grabs that statue because they're the ones that live with the project well before anyone even knows what the project is. They either buy the content, they either buy the script, they develop the script, whatever it's going to be. And then long after the shoot and editing is done, they've got to be responsible to get the eyes on it by distributing it and developing strategy and everything else. So I would say, actually, the greatest influence in the creative or collaborative process. Came with me being involved as a producer. I mean, in this case, I wrote the underlying material as well. So the project is obviously very close to my heart, but I think the stamp that you can put on is the most potent as a producer. Because you got I hired, I think, 135 people for the short film, in addition to different service providers. And our, our objective was try to make something very semblant in the time that we have, even though it's short and it's proof of concept to try to ultimately deliver a feature, but also showcase it as something with a high production value. And even though we shot it and got it all done for less than, you know, $50,000, it, a lot of people have remarked like, wow, this looks like you guys spent like about a half a million dollars on this. And I'm like, well, I I appreciate it looks that way. It's just that the work that goes into even executing it in that sense is, it's extremely challenging. Right? So, and again, that's a testament to the people that you get to hire Because you want to put them in a position Where they can succeed in doing that work Mm. and uh, I think that's The best way for me to I guess answer The question that you posed
0: Yeah Well I, I, I think you can see With the film That yeah these things have come Together well like the look And the feel of it definitely Invokes that kind of Gritty hard boiled Type of story You know which is yeah, very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. Like, I was curious about the ending. Yes. Right, so how did you how did you decide or when did the decision come that that was the ending
1: point? So very early on. So, you know, okay, Damien Chazelle have you seen his uh, short film, Whiplash, and then he ended up turning it into a feature film? I, I haven't seen the show, no. All right. So, Kevin, is a tit for tat. The Harder They Fall, James Samuel, <laughs> I've got it on my list. I want you to <laughs> put Whiplash on yours, okay? Hey, for sure, yeah, for sure. James is a tremendous filmmaker. He's so, mm. so sharp and so talented. But uh, he created a short. I think the Whiplash short was like 18 minutes. And pretty much the whole short is a scene. It's a pressure cooker of an emerging drummer and he's in a a school setting and he's got a militant, militant music educator that is just, I mean, driving home, like how the drumming has to be expressed, how, you know, all of the musicians have to work in concert. And then the way it ends, it's like it's such a pressure cooker. Okay. So a lot of short films that I've seen, sometimes they have a linear quality where you begin at a, the beginning of the story the story follows along the characters introduce them there's an arc there's some sort of a obstacle to overcome and then the film ends with some type of silver lining or sometimes it ends maybe unresolved in maybe a cute way or in a way that makes you reflect on it after the fact and this one because the ultimate goal, I mean, the short film is a standalone film, of course, to introduce the characters and the story environment and the underlying feature film. But I wanted for people to capture themselves in following the characters in the story, feeling something, and then at the end, end it on a crescendo where it just stops. And then for mm-hmm. there. So many people have watched that film and theatrically we, in the premiere that we add and the times that we've added, even in the cinema so far, people are like, no, wait, is that it? No, no. I, I want to know what happens. I, 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 yeah. I got into this thing. Like, I want to see like what's going to happen. What's going on with the project. That is exactly the intention that we wanted to elicit so that when producers see it and development executives, after it's done, they're like, I wanted the wow effect so that, now they get introduced to the characters, but also let's get behind this. Let's make this so that it gets seen in its intended way. Because if people are feeling that right now, when the story is just emerging, let them see the entire film and story develop on the intended canvas that it deserves. Mm, mm. Okay. That makes sense. Right. There's, yeah, I'm
0: watching it and then it ends like that. And I'm just like, Come on. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, all right, but but what next? Right? next? Well, you know the, the, the thing's meant to happen. So is it how can the thing happen when this has just gone down? Like, what yeah. where are we going? Jonah, right. where are we going? Right. And that was the thing. I mean, because it kind of like it, it's like the ending of like an episode of the wire or something like that, right? On. But you know, all right, next Friday, episode two. Yeah. But there's no fucking episode two. Right, right. (laughs) You son of a bitch, Jordan. What
1: are you doing? (laughs) I'm sorry. I know. Yeah. I'm working really hard for episode two. I'm working real hard. We're all working hard, man. Yeah. I'll (laughs) be sure that you'll be on the the first of those on the list to be able to see the the feature. Absolutely.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. No, I, I feel you've definitely created something to intrigue
2: mm-hmm. so
0: people are like okay where's this going right how can this end right what 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 what's the outcome here because right. it doesn't look good like you yeah. know what i mean it's just like i can't see how anyone's going to be happy at the end of this like wh- right. wh- you know what i mean so it's just like ah so yeah i, d- I definitely think the the intrigue has been built and it's just like yeah it just ho- hopefully someone like hit you with that check so we can you know see what where it's gonna go
1: we're trying yeah that that spelt the spellbinding element like that where it's like okay abrupt and then you're like no like you want some of that too like you said like when you see what happens in the feature length story I mean, that's just, it's a lot of tip of the iceberg stuff in there. You see where the characters are. There's a couple of scenes in there that are straight out of the feature script because we wanted to show that it can play and translate well in the long format. Mm. So we did that intentionally as well. But yeah, there's a lot of secrets uh, in the feature length script. There's some things that were heralded in the short film where you're like, well, what caused that? Or why did that happen? And then when you see how it unfolds in the feature I mean, these two brothers are on a pressure cooker. I mean, they're... And they start... It's I kind of want to play with this accordion idea with the two characterizations where they're both on opposite sides of the law. And then Nick, the character that I play in the film, he's on the straight and narrow to begin. But then he starts unraveling as he realizes that, you know, my brother is this archetypal type villain. And then the more villainous brother he starts taking on the tendencies of his brother where he's starting to expose his vulnerability so it's almost like they crisscross in terms of like their character aptitudes and that gets more explored later in the film as well like they both almost become morally gray so there's a bit of that as well okay okay because yeah there's
0: certain things in the short where i'm just like how did they get there though Right? Yes. Why did that happen? Right. And you're just like, oh, I wish I knew. I, I, I kind of wish that I knew that. Yeah. But then you got the the wonder, like, oh, but will they explore that in the film?
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. That we give you morsels, a bit of a taste, to try to get it to go to where it has to. But there's more that is definitely explored, absolutely, in the longer format. Hmm. We got and- to- yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But you you've
0: written this the, the, the feature film, and then it was just like, okay, let's do a short to you know show people what we can do. So did that story come to you instantly? How how long did that take to kind of think, you know, how to set the stage for this without you know giving too much away without watering anything down you know what i mean like yeah
1: yeah our our goal with that i mean there's a lot of ways to tell a show i mean you could do a short in five minutes where you can make like a you know a lot of filmmakers go through this exercise right before they start it's like okay i'm gonna make a short and then do i make it into almost like a a sizzle reel type film where it's Mm. like we're just gonna highlight and pay lip service to a few things then it's done or do you do like a 8 minute short, a 10 minute short, 12 minute, 18. I mean, if you want to use film festivals as your method of deployment, uh it's usually better they say to keep it short. Ultimately, you should tell the story that you want to tell, but you know, sometimes it's like, okay, you make a 30 minute film and their job is to pause as many, you know, creative filmmakers in their slots if they're only picking 55 or 60, and then at that point it's like, well, if you got a 30 minute, I can fit three films in 30 minutes instead of one 30. Yeah. So you might kind of dismiss maybe some of your opportunities at the festival level. If you really want to use that as your modicum of proliferation. Um, our, our intention here was almost exclusively, I mean, we did submit it to film fest. We gained some acknowledgments, nominations award that that's all wonderful. We were very appreciative of the support that we got at the festival level, but for us, it was more let's showcase this in the manner that it's intended in. And that is, it needs the two hour plus treatment. Like this thing is a crime saga in like, it's semblant of how heat, like it follows the supporting characters and their lives and how they're intertwined and like every supporting character in the feature length screenplay, they have their own microcosm of their own story, their backstory and how they're affected by this conflict between these two brothers. That is not introduced, uh, in in the greatest sense in the short i think we really focused on nick's journey in terms of how a lot of the discovery is unraveled and then where it gets to that penultimate moment at the end but in the future, i mean every character is impacted by what happens with the brokenness and tragedy of what happens with these two men and then how people are going to have to go through this almost Life episodic process where the saga unfolds, and then you're going to have to find a way to either overcome or the positive lining in terms of the fact that, okay, things went down, shit has happened, we're going to have to get through this, or there's going to be a lot of dire consequences in the process. And that's what really it explores. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting.
0: Oh man! And, and how can people um, get to see the show?
1: Yeah. So we uh we had to keep it close to the vest. We we went to American Film Market. That was kind of like our big introduction. Uh, it's now played in the cinema. Uh, we've got it now. Uh, through the Oscar qualification process in the short film, live action short film category. So Academy viewers, uh, they can actually see it in the Academy screening room. That's just devoted to the actual voting uh, membership within the Academy for that. Um, We're going to eventually have it on the website. Uh, if People want to find out more about the film. It's at www.watchbrothersinarms.com. That's watchbrothersinarms.com. Uh, I've got a few things on my own personal website, uh, actorjordancharles.com, which pays some lip service to some of the film content as well. Um, we'll put stuff up on my Instagram page, Charles is the handle there. And then eventually, I think the film, we're probably going to have some sort of a screening room on the actual Watch Brothers in Arms website. Uh, I think that's important. That way it can get its own light of day. We'll probably eventually have it on Vimeo and YouTube. Uh, and then maybe try to get it on some short film platforms. But right now, because we're so engrossed into reaching out now to different studio corners to try to rally uh, film uh, development support and financing, and now we're sending it out to intended cast members, we're really pushing now to go through the proper steps to gain the financing sourcing that we can start putting the pieces together to get this thing into production and get it actually shooting to become the feature that it should be. Mm-hmm. Boy, it's a process. It's a process, Kevin. It it's years, man. It's years. Like that's another thing I, I hope people realize with all independent filmmakers. Like you go, you go through a lot, you go through a lot because you want you want to share right you want to share your art and your creativity and you want people to feel and take something away with what you're trying to visually express but it, it's work it's work like anything, mm. else. and it's it's beautiful work and beautiful pain sometimes
0: <laughs> well man I, I i think it's it's definitely paying off it's definitely paying off like yeah as i say, i'm i'm intrigued i want to know what happens next and you know amy in the copies that sent over you know mentioned the other three three or four scripts you've got in the can that you're gonna work on again yes interested
1: Yeah, I've got, I've actually got one that I wrote. uh, It's kind of like in the vein of like an Indiana Jones adventure story, kind of like Indiana Jones meets national treasure where this family of treasure hunters are chasing this uh, long lost artifact. So that's more kind of like on the, the adventure bent. I've also got one that I'm finishing up. uh, It's on the current migrant crisis. Mm. There's statistics out there. Do you know there's like 300,000 people, they estimate, that are coming in through the southern border of the United States every single month? I mean, you talk about displacement and leaving what you know to come to a new country. And that resonates with me as well because, again, my parents and their immigrant experience, it's funny. We call them immigrants before, but now we call them migrants because a lot of them don't go through the legal process channel. Mm -hmm. The journey is still the same. It's leaving everything you know behind. To kind of come through. I I was asking my mom the other day, I'm like, mom, when you guys came through back, you know, when it was like right after the war, I'm like, what, how did you decide what to bring and what you had to sell or leave? And she goes, son, she goes, you bring a suitcase and you bring whatever cash you can scrounge. And then you pray that you go to a locality where there's enough friends of family or whatever to get yourself back on your feet. And then you just chip away to try to gain progress to kind of lift yourself up. And I'm like, I don't think people recognize, you know, when we get further removed from war and war is so terrible in and of itself, what people have to go through and just the different stories mm. all in that to even educate people. Like I just, I always want to be part of filmmaking like that, Kevin. I don't know if you always want to dialogue on, on certain type of filmmaking, but filmmaking that speaks to you on a very deep emotional level. And it can also maybe teach or shine spotlight on stories that, you know, we're not necessarily exposed to. Like for me, that's what it's all about. I mean, we got to we're all part of a human community, right? So I think that the more things that are told on that level, the more we all benefit as a community.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I love a fantasy tale, like Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson, oh, awesome. did wonderful things with those. I have watched those films so many times, right? I, I knew my, my girl was the person to marry when she also was just like, I remember the Lord of the Rings cartoon. Oh, yeah, every year I watch the trilogy as well. Awesome. And i will be like, okay, I feel we need to be together,
2: right? but I do agree.
0: Or also, I just those, as you said, the films that educate you, the films that like inform you on stuff. I've watched some films on like human trafficking, yeah, right? and they're horrendous. Yeah, right. Like the, no, I should rephrase that. the The films are good. It's just the subject matter is horrendous, and it you just. Uh, it feels like a part of you is just being scarred by by this and knowing that this stuff happens every hour every day right and the the the, the thing I remember I forget why I was looking at something about immigration and migration and all of that kind of stuff is for some film I forget though but you then have, so it's that whole experience, right? Having to leave stuff behind, behind, leave family behind, friends behind to go and set up somewhere new, which is crazy. That's crazy enough. But then you hear about the predators that are on the borders, right? So a big form of human trafficking is from wars. So the people fleeing a war torn country. You have these these assholes who then snatch the, the, the women, the girls, the kids, right? And, and then sell them into slavery. Then you've got like the people taking people to be drug mules. Right? You've got the people that will just rape women. All of that. Like not not just not for to take them into trafficking or drug muling or anything, just because they're sadistic nasty pieces of trash so they're raping women kids on this but people know that but it's like what do i do like do i stay where i am and there's the you know we can't support ourselves like there's nothing here so we we need to go to to give our kids our family this opportunity but we're running the risk of this but it's just like I'll do that if it gets me here. I remember listening on um, Rogan's podcast. Right, he was talking to, I think it's Wiley Park, the the girl from uh, North Korea. Okay, and she's like, um, when her and her mum fled, right? Her mum, they these people wanted to rape her, but her mum was like, do. To me, instead, that's God,
1: God's and and it
0: and it, you just hear these stories, and it's just like horrendous. But you don't know about this stuff a lot of times until you've seen it in a film, you know, read it in a book, like in some form of story that you're enlightened by this stuff. Because a lot of times in Hollywood, we see one side of it. Right, right, but we we don't see the whole magnitude of a situation, and, and it's just it's tough. But it's so important to see,
1: but so you know, important
0: to see.
1: Yeah, and I, I think Kevin, I, I mean, I I agree. Like, you know, it's it's a complicated world, right? Like, I mean, what, mm. like I just I look at a lot of, you know, like. I'm not big on like social media and things like that. I just don't like to digest information like where it's like, it's just snippets. And then, you know, you base like a whole objective view on something after you look at something for 15 seconds and then you carry the next 15 seconds. And then like where the majority of people I think are gaining their news. I think we all have to do some self-reflection. Like, it's like you said, war can be so debased and evil like in terms of what it does sometimes it fosters change it's it's a change maker for something better to evolve right like but it's just that it requires so much sacrifice and suffering and death and all these tragedies and terrible acts that you're describing but that again is the power of cinema too right where you know if if cinema speaks to you and you use it as a, a didactic form of information or knowledge you're able to watch something on some prescient, important topic and then say, wait, I wasn't even aware of that. Like I-, I wasn't aware of that suffering or the genocide that's happening in that part of the world. And then it rallies something or stimulates something in you to say, well, who's doing work at that level to help people mm. that are victimized by that. And then maybe now you're going to rally around a charity or some local cause or rally support around a politician or your your local representative that sparks some type of change or can gain some positive or foster some development that might be able to impact or or affect the people that are being affected by what you saw on the screen. If cinema can do that as a tool, that's amazing. Books can do that. Um, Television can do that. I mean, some people do benefit concerts to do things like that. Like, I rally around a lot of causes like Amnesty International or Greenpeace, or, I mean, there's so many, my my parents kind of imbued that at us from a very young age where they had to rely on organizations to help them when they were coming across. So you don't forget things like that. So I think, again, we have to kind of dispel this notion that people feel like they're alone. You're never really alone. Like you can participate in things to have greater impact or effect. And, if cinema can again shine spotlight on, on causes or movements or or change making opportunities that, that is something that we can all become part of, right. Then we all become part of the collaborative effort into whatever stands behind the subject matter to make the world that is being reflected a better place. That's all I want to do as an actor. I just want to be part of stories that are meaningful and then gain more and more stature in the industry so that, then you can use that to lift as many people up as you can in the industry to continue making positive films or films that speak to something, and then use that exposure rally around causes or work with UN or work with different nonprofits. I think that's the end game, I think, at least for me.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I, I watched Rustin last week. And it was so interesting because I had never heard the name. Right. Right? Like you heard of the March, never heard the name. name? Never heard the name Rustin. And it's just like, if a film can enlighten you to something like that, to someone that has been shifted out of the gaze. Absolutely. I, I think it's so valuable, you know, to, to be able to do that. And it doesn't hurt that, you know what I mean, the performances were incredible. Like, the film was actually good, which is just like, that's so great. Because, you know, it would be terrible if that film was terrible, right? And, and, yeah, right. You know what I mean? That we finally hear about this person, but it's just like, ugh. You know, so the fact that the film was really good, but it's just crazy that no one has uttered the name up to that. Now, like, there may have been a documentary or, you know, a bit part in
1: another film, but I just don't recall it. But also, you know, Kevin, I was going to say too, like, see, it's great to look, again, to look at content like that. And then it's like, wow, now, Now I understand. And now maybe I want to learn more, but I actually think that all important second step, I don't think people should lose either where don't just rely on the film. Obviously. I think it's really important for that to be the spark because Mm. one point of view, right? Like it behooves us to look at multiple point of views, go look at, look at the, the event or the historical activity academically like check articles seek out documentaries because then you're going to become more knowledgeable and more involved i i think again cinema is really good at creating the spark but i hope it doesn't stop there because sometimes there's going to be fictional elements to oh, allow a story to take place right yeah but i mean the thing is if it becomes the initial incitement the spark all the power to it but then mm. continue from there right like yeah just, and that's fantastic. I mean, I remember when I watched Chernobyl. I think it was a six-part miniseries. The creatives behind that—they did such an amazing job on that. And I, just my mind goes to like the miners that go in, and it's like, look, you're probably going to get radiation exposure. And it's like, are you going to take care of my family? Yeah, we'll give you double time or whatever it was. And that caused me to read up on their stories. And it's like, can you imagine having to make that decision? Saying, okay, I got to go up and help get them to there, clean up, and. And then you know probably it's a death sentence Mm. but yet you still go in for the greater good of the nation or the community and it's like just that small part of that story that probably doesn't get told if you don't see it like so many instances like that that are so powerful
0: yeah oh for sure but you are definitely right you you have to then do your own research Right, you, you have to, you know, with a film, with a book, with a TV show, things get shifted around. Right, I remember watching the Tetris film, which right. wasn't bad, like, I didn't know what to expect. I'm like, a film about blocks, like, what will we, how you know? But you watch it, and you're like, actually, this isn't bad, but then when you read up about it. Yep. Right, this is the thing. So I w- watch the film, do the review, but in doing that, right, I have to find the information, right? A synops- I have to find the synopsis so I can tell people like the find out who's in it, so I can tell people that. But then in doing that, you then go down these rabbit holes and you're like, oh, what's this? Oh yeah, so it's talking about. Oh wait, that didn't happen the same year, and you find out the timeline in Tetris. Those things
2: happened, happened but not
0: awesome. how they're shown. right Right. happened some of those things were years apart but in the film it's all within like the frame of a month or something but it's
1: just like it didn't go like that so it's about that so just interrupt so uh hank rogers actually who i the film follows a lot of his story too he's actually uh his daughter's a a really good friend and colleague of ours actually when i lived in hawaii that was part of a, a larger circle that that we had and uh He's a very, very gracious man. I remember he did a a new year celebration one time at his house and really interesting guy. Like he made an announcement that he was going to, he's taking steps to make his entire life sustainable. And I didn't know at that time, like what that meant. I mean, I follow a lot of environmentalism. It's a passion of mine, but he was showing me some of the actions and activities and how he was planning to live his life or reduce carbon and the nonprofit that he created. But Then I remember like you see the Tetris film and it just like you said there's some things that you got to be careful of but it scratches the surface Mm. but it it should compel you to want to read more about the underlying the humanity in the stories and what makes the people tick and what they're all about and then when you meet the people like even on a, a social level where you know them personally that's a whole other dynamic that you know you, you you that most viewers don't get as well like it's it's all again part and parcel of just it's continuing education right yeah great it's wonderful
0: yeah i i think films could be used in so many other ways right because with all of this stuff there's this larger tapestry right and you're trying to get people to learn, you're trying to get people to pay attention in schools and things like that, use films, right? So you, you can show them a film and then be like, um, okay, so what were the historical inaccuracies in this film? I right. want you to point them out to me. So that's the homework, right? Which then means people have to then go read about the subject right and there's so many different things you could do and be like okay so in tetris all of that stuff happened in two months but do you think that could like and then be like oh okay so i've got to write about that and then you go you read and be like oh that was actually it was a five-year period in which that went down and they didn't actually get the rights when they went to the event in japan it it was like after that 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 happened and but and so you're getting people to learn but in a fun way you know what i mean and and i just think boom you could do that right you you could do these things and then it it then changes the way people look at things Right. Because as you, you said earlier, right, it's just people digest information in these short forms and then they take it verbatim. Right. This crazy thing I remember reading is I've got this other kind of news podcast I, I throw out there. Oh. And I was reading about in Scotland, the the rate of STIs and abortions had gone up. And they were saying yeah, they were saying because people are watching these videos on TikTok where people are being like, Oh, birth control is bad. Oh, you know, this is condoms are bad, and they can create these, give you seizures and blah blah blah. And I'm just like, firstly, who's watching a stupid TikTok video and going, that's all real? You know, what I mean, that's insane to me. But we, you know, what I mean, I, I, I feel school could be used as a, a vehicle to teach people how to communicate properly, how to look at information, how to be analytical about what they're consuming, and not just take one source and go, Oh, that's it, and be like, Actually, let me see what they're saying over here. And let me see what they're saying here. And then, when you've got all of that information, you can go. So, how do I view this now? Like, what do I actually think is the case? I you love know, it. And that's not. We don't do that. And and film is a vehicle which can
1: be used to help put people on that road. That's awesome, Kevin. Yeah, you know, that's amazing. It's funny. My my brother-in-law is uh, is Scottish. He married my sister. Shout out to Kilmarnock, Scotland. That's what <laughs> a huge soccer fan. Great guy. But um, I got to ask him about that. See, you just put something on my radar. Now it makes me want to go see the content and then, then you can learn, right? But mm. you know, it's interesting too. Do you know how many people I've come across in the filmmaking industry? Like as an actor on set, you talk to people. Like, I mean, our set, we had women uh, that led departments. We had, I mean, my fellow producer, Courtney King, she's amazing. Like we, we had... I've got people on transgender, we've got, you know, people that are from different cultures, religions, creeds, nationalities, people that were here, like on their, their, they got their first credit on a film, like, you're all coming from different walks of life. And then you're sharing and contributing to the experience of making something. But then you think those same people are also they become viewers where they're watching something. And then they see the point of view of the cinema. And then they take their own point of view in terms of what they're watching in that point of view. And that leads to some sort of a value judgment or something like that. But a lot of them, you know what they tell me set to set when I travel, even as a working actor, freelancing, do you know what people tell me? They come from different countries and they rely on American cinema where they watch it and it teaches them how to speak English. Mm, mm. Just think about that from a pure didactic standpoint where you could take a course, get a tutor, take an English course, whatever but you watch films over and over and over in the vernacular, what's being expressed now, their inflection of speech. And it actually can teach you language. Like to me, that is incredible. Like, cause then now the way you're learning the language you're learning in a narrative form. So now that's also going to predispose you likely to wanting to watch more and more film. Mm. That is like your educational, like stimulus. Like it's incredible. Like, you're right that the, the power of cinema i think we might be just scratching the surface on this i think you're right it can go way further than it is right now and that's oh, wonderful for sure, for sure like i was i
0: forget what podcast i was listening to but the, the guy was talking about how his parents were immigrants and they saying how they came over and so they were like oh we need english names right we need english names. right right and um so the dad took rocky because that was what they he was watching rocky and so it's just like oh, rocky and the mum the mum had another funny name but i can't remember what that was but they they took the names from characters that they were you know watching all the time
1: isn't that great yeah i, I heard an, i don't know if this is an urban legend I, I i keep forgetting to go look it up and i sorry if it's not true if i'm misspeaking but so Harold Bronson, a famous action star in the '70s. I mean, you know all the films that he did. I forget what country he came from—Hungarian or something like that. He came from Europe, but he uh, apparently was auditioning and on the Paramount lot. I think he wrote down his original name, and then I, I guess the person at the checking table—they're like, "No, you can't. You can't use that. Like, I, there's not. That's just too long. Like, you should use something else or whatever." He was in, inspired to take a different name. Apparently, he looked around. He's like, "Wait a sec, Paramount Studios. That's Bronson Street. Put down Bronson." <laughs> and then that's how he got like his action. Like it's crazy. Like some of the stuff, the genesis of identity and name making in Hollywood. That like I'm sure books have been written out on this. Mm. You know, it, it, it's unreal. Like it's just. But at the same time, I mean, your your identity on the screen is very different than your identity in real life, right? Yes. So, I mean, you're you're there for a purpose to characterize the person that's on the page. So, like, there's also something in that as well where, you know, you're you're paying homage to something that has feelings or something that is mirroring humanity, but it's actually invoking some of yourself in that as well, but not your whole self. And I think there's a, there's something to be explored there further as well in terms of like how we're carving out our identity in the frame or in the storytelling versus the fact that there's a whole humanity component that is altogether separate from that too like it's it's very interesting the juxtapositions that are explored in that process.
0: Yeah is you're trying to craft something, you know, from these words and imbue it with this soul. Yes. Yes. But it's just like, what's the right way to do that? Right? Like, what's the way that will resonate the most? And it, I think it was crazy watching Lord of the Rings because in your head, you're like, oh, Boromor's gonna be like this, and Frodo's obviously like this, right? Arrogant. Oh, yeah, Strider. He would be, and then watching and being like, yeah, that's exactly how I envisioned them. Right. Oh my god, that's yeah, that's Bil- Bilbo. That's Strider, That's Gandalf. Oh my god. And then seeing like Nurimdor and Gondor and you know Rivendell, being like that get out my head peter jackson
1: oh my yeah, god totally, right so, yeah. you know it's funny i'm a huge lotr fan as well i mean peter Jats amazing I, I visited i went to new zealand a couple of years oh. ago for a friend's wedding and uh we were pitching another project there and i met with some of the folks at peter's company they're wonderful amazing people and i got to visit uh park road post and the post-production facilities and everything that peter has done there to allow the filmmaking industry in that country never mind just the reading, mm-hmm. just take like the next step like that man is tremendous and Felipe like their their whole team these are just good people great artists talented people but you know it's funny like what you were saying like how you're following the characterization there was a there's an independent film that I acted in where I had to play two characters in two different timelines and it's like what you are saying before, like how do you know like how to represent that or how do you act that character? I think it's really important sometimes. I don't know, I find this as an actor, or maybe it's a training, like y- you want to feel a little bit lost because you're you're playing moments and if you feel like you've reached the zenith, like I've got this character, i got that You always want to leave a little bit where you're always in the state of process where mm-hmm. you're trying to find... Because in doing that, I think that it, that creates the naturalism, right? Because we're yes. human beings are not altogether complete. So you want to show that, like, what you're traversing in terms of your feelings, what you're emoting, what you're discovering in that scene as it's happening in real time. You're supposed to be discovering it like the audience sees it after it's filmed. And I think as human beings, we're doing that as well. Like, you know, something you're going along your plan in life. I got my schedule, my calendar, and boom. Something happens, a car accident. Maybe it's like uh, I get a new piece of news or oh, well, I turn on the telly and like this is happening and you're uncovering that in real time. I think some of that needs to be reflected in performance as well, at least good performance. Oh. Careful follow that anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Like
0: I, I, animation is, is something that I, I think really highlights this a lot right? Because you have the, these things and people doing the voices. And a lot of times you're like, oh, that's, oh, that's Will Smith,
2: right? right. Or, or,
0: or, oh, that's, you know, uh, Cleve, Cleve Blanchett, right? And you're just like, oh, but then other times you'll have something and be like, oh, man, that's so fun. Like, who the fuck voice yeah, thing? And then you yeah. look, and you'll be like, wait, that was, shut up. That wasn't, oh my God. Actually, yeah, now I can, I think I kind of get it a little bit, but totally, I Yeah, not get that. I didn't get that they voiced that. And I think that is just the epitome of acting. Like when someone can imbue a role with something completely different to them, Right, but there's still sometimes a little element of them there, but it just feels like something brand new. That is
1: phenomenal. That is great. I agree. Like it's amazing because that's. I mean, I mean the way I I had really good teachers uh, to date, and I you know the the learning never stops. I mean, you always have to refine your craft and stay and study in school, but. On the acting front, I mean, I'm very, very passionate about acting and like giving purpose and and respect for the craft, the work. It, it, it's a it's a challenge. Like every project, you start it and you kind of get goosebumps, and you're you're like, okay, I, I want to find this character, and I want to, you know, give credence to what this person is going through in the greater story. But you know, you never really arrive, Kevin. Like it's, it's interesting. Like you, there's always something where after you're finished, you're like, it's, it's interesting that I got that out of like my scene partner. And then they're going to translate it a certain way as well. And when, when you're doing a pro animation is a bit different because you've got to emote so much through voice and then you <clears throat> on the digital rendering to actually translate the physicality of the performance. Cause physicality and performance, when it's live action, when it's just, they're showing you your body and your voice, that's different because there's an adage in in miser training behavior never lies so your voice and its inflection everything else it's supposed to be imbued by all of the physicality in your body and the performing and uh i mean in stage we take that to a whole different level right because it's obviously way more expressive on stage than if you're doing television and film but yeah that's all part of it though. Right. Right. Like what you're expressing, what comes out of you, it's coming out of every orifice, right? Like it's every physicality that you have is supposed to be imbued in the performance. And there's something magical in that too, that, you know, you're feeling something at such a deep emotive level that every part of you is in that performance. And, uh, it's amazing. Like I, I have a lot of respect for you, you. You watch a film. You're like, wow, that person can't be any more different in real life than what they are. And that's you can't find that in life, mm. right? Like it's incredible.
0: Yeah, no, it, it really is. It, it's so great when when you get that, you know, it, it's just I mean, what was it like when you you'd cast this film and then you you think, oh, these people will be great for these roles and then you run those scenes, and you get that performance. You get that. It was like when you were talking with your wife, and she's just like, what's wrong? Like, oh, we've got these restaurants, but if if you want to stay home, just just let me know. Let me know, Nick. And, and you're just like, yeah cancel the reservation like just getting that performance I, like what was that feeling when you you hit you know you ran that scene or some of the other scenes and you were like oh that's such a great performance like how how
1: does that feel to you do you know it's it's in, it's funny you mentioned that scene in the film that most of that scene was actually improvised so ibrahim oh, yeah. her director yeah he was like let's kind of do a few off the cuff where just kind of go with each moment and what feels natural, which is, again, that comes straight out of miser training. You play moments, right? You do, it's almost like you do all your backstory, you know what the relationships are, but then you're wanting to project and perform a specificity, like how you're feeling and then you throw all that out and then action happens and all the magic's supposed to happen before they all cut. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, you, what is the other person doing? How do you feel about it? That's like acting 101, right? And it's take what the scene partner is giving, relate to them, express how you feel, observe. And then in that, it's funny, in the moments in the film where the real visceral moments, you do forget that you're acting. You you do. And it's a lot of, like Daniel Day-Lewis and the method actors, where they're like, they almost embody the role and the performance. Mm. Sometimes you can get to that level. And some people say some of that is unhealthy or some of it's not. I mean, you can take whatever acting or training tradition into your preparation, but when you're in the moments in the frame, it's really you and the other person. And sometimes you yourself, if it's, you know, you're, you're just on camera on stage, there's something cathartic that is taking place. And it's, um, I think people express it. They feel it in different ways. They, uh, I think what it does to them in the moment is very different. It's fascinating, right? You think, oh, it's all acting and everyone acts the same way. No, you could line up 10 different actors and actresses and then you could have them perform the same scene, same line, same inflection, but what they're going through in that experience is different. All 10 of them. And All of that needs to be respected. There is no right or wrong way to do it, right? But it's funny, the audience, if you would line up 10 audience members, they'll look at the 10 people performing and they're going to get something different Mm. and that does it. And they're like, but I like the way this person did it, that person did it. How can you not like that one? Like It's fascinating. It's all interpretive art. And that also is what makes it beautiful because we have such shades as human beings that we're putting into that performance. And then people, the way they're receiving it, they receive it differently, it's, it's all magic, right?
0: It's just oh, yeah, for sure. Because when you think about all the different people that have played, like Sherlock Holmes, you know, right. Dracula, hercule Poirot, I mean, to me, David Suchet is the one only hercule Poro, wow, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? But there, there's so many people that have played. Oh man, it's uh, yeah. I just, I just, I just love David. Oh, you know, early at the beginning of the year, um we we went to this classical performance, and it was really interesting because David Suchet narrated like these moments in between the music numbers. Wow. And I'd never seen that before, and it was so good. It was so good. It was like, whoa. But yeah, David Suchet is phenomenal.
1: So good. I like what Benedict Cumberpatch did with uh, with Sherlock. He's mm-hmm. uh, And then uh, I'm trying to think the other Sherlock, Johnny Lee Miller with uh, Elementary. Oh yeah, and yeah, he yeah, put, yeah. He put a different bent on it too. It's amazing. Again, uh, you can find like your your intention and purpose and specificity with the same character. And again, it's got different texture and shades. It's amazing.
0: Mm. Yeah. No, that, I think that's one of the, the, the fun things about all of this. When you get to see like people, different people put their mark on something and it's always just so interesting, right? And I think that's a, a really valuable point of having a diverse and inclusive workplace and industry because you get to see how different voices interpret
1: this material absolutely right. and you know kevin another thing like i'm i'm really big on that i mean when you come with immigrant heritage i mean you live diversity and inclusion i mean that's what it is like it i don't know if that even can be understood by people that don't have, i mean look at what's happening in the ukraine and I mean, so African nations, and now the Middle East—like, there's so many different places that are in conflict right now. It's going to lead to people that have to depart and leave, and we just repeat these patterns over and over. And it's just something mm. from ourselves. I don't know what what we can speak of that of, but but having said that, diversity inclusion—I don't think those are like. That's not a concept. I think that's a practice. Like I. I it's how we actually undertake and exercise it to make the fabric of our community more representative of the world around us and the lives that are being lived. And I was really proud of that even on our film that, you know, we had, I don't know how many nations, like almost 30, I think, people that their heritage came from different countries. And, you know, I like that. I like I like being part of that and having a leadership role in fostering that sense of inclusion and community, because there's also, con- there's positive contributory factors with this. When you bring people at different viewpoints, different heritage into a creative process, they're going to come up with ideas that blow you away. Mm. And then you execute those ideas. You wouldn't have otherwise come to those ideas without their inclusion on the project because their worldview is different. Their traditions are different. And then the way that they look at subject matter is different. And then the audience member that's in the audience, they're going to take something different away because their heritage themselves is different. Like The blending that goes on because of the diversity and inclusion that is in and of itself such a beautiful process that needs to be preserved. It's, you can't get the art otherwise without inviting that. And that needs to be championed as much as possible.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. It's it's one of those weird things, right? Because there's always the, you know, these moments where there's, these certain initiatives, and you can always clearly see it right that oh, we need more women in leading roles, like we need more black people in leading roles, we need more Latino, we need more. And, and then you see this glut of projects trying to do that thing, and it's always feels a bit weird, a bit manufactured. Because I'm my kind of thing is. I wish we lived in a world where we didn't need, you know, uh, gosh, I forget what, what it's called now, but like, um, you know, where you where you have to have a number of. Oh, right, right, right. You know what I mean, Yeah, because if we could just be in a place where there are no barriers, right? Where you're getting things on the merit of what you're bringing. Rather than a, a quota, that's what. God damn it, that's what I was trying to figure. Yeah, rather than you're filling a quota. Now, I understand why quotas are there because otherwise, a lot of times people wouldn't get those roles, you know. But you just wish that you you could just remove all the barriers, right? That people were when they're looking to hire people, they're not thinking, "Oh, well, he looks like me, so I'm going to employ him." where it's just like, actually, you know, she's got a real great vision. Let me, I'll bring her on board or, you know, I, uh, that, that guy over there, he doesn't look like me, but I like the way he he's, you know, talked about this project and what he would bring to this project. So let's bring them on board. I wish it was that, right? I wish it was that because you get so much from a situation when, know the pool you're drawing from is rich and diverse you know because you, you get these different mindsets where you're you know the amount of times right i i go to you know organizations and they're like right we want to do this with our product our service right and you're thinking, okay. And you talk to them and you'd be like, right, we could do this, this, and this. And they don't give you the job. They give it to someone that looks like them. Right. But now they're getting same old, same old. Right. And it's just like, you will never get anything different if you just keep on going to the
1: same world. I agree. You know, Ke- Kevin, I have strong feel. I-, I like your views on this too. I have strong feelings on this too. You know, like, Remember, my dad had a lot of vulnerabilities because he felt. I think he had a grade eight education. I mean, like they, they, his family was, I mean, torn apart, and then uh, he had a lot of siblings, and he was an excellent soccer player, and then they they were recruiting him like so, a South American team. They're like, you're, you know, he has got talent. His mom was like, I lost my son, someone to war, and my husband, and so the my grandmother made him stay at home, and then at the top of a mountain where they were in Italy. There weren't a lot of educational opportunities when the war was going on so he ended up having to learn a trade he became a welder and uh my parents are very blue collar my mom was like sterilizing instruments in an operating room we didn't come from a lot of wealth right mm-hmm. and my dad he always had this vulnerability that he uh he felt like he was embarrassed at his lack of education because I think mm-hmm. if he, he would have became like a doctor a physician an anthropologist he loved nature and like the effect of nature on processes and it's very technically astute and really good. Like, again, like a lot of, you know, broken or failed promise sadly, but he achieved a lot despite of the shortcomings that you had to overcome. But you know, like I, I realized this, there's so many people that have tremendous potential, right? And because of the way they look or the way that they participate or not are not able to participate because of their language challenges or they come from a heritage that is maybe frowned upon in light of what global events are going on we always look to art to become like the it's like the lead indicator of where society is supposed to progress to like it has to be art that does that and it it kind of dispels like wrongful notions and it it, it again it it shines like spotlight or it it provides indications of where we can be as a society or a community or a human family like what better medium than art through paintings or the visual frame or you know literature to be able to do that right because if we can get engrossed through an emotional process to say that you know this person should belong or this voice should be heard. That has tremendous power to be able to lead to the inclusivity that we want to see that is supposed to reflect our world. I think people need to get out and travel because if if you're if you're uh I guess saturating cinema of only a certain type or you're reading only certain books by a certain author, the world is a big grand place filled with differences. Mm-hmm like that that needs to be realized by as many human beings as possible to recognize that we're part of a far more expansive community than we realize oh for sure for sure it's the beauty of a film festival
0: right that you get to see yes so many different things from so many different places and i I guess it's you know it is one of the triumphs of digital media right netflix apple disney prime because now you've got films from all over the place tv from all over the place you know so people if if they're open to just exploring and trying they can check out stuff from
1: different countries absolutely that's the you're right i think you hit it on the head that is actually the most rich quality of the different streaming platforms that you can otherwise discover cinema that you may have never had exposure to and filmmakers from mm. foreign countries or far-off places. And now it's like, and you sometimes it'll surprise you where it's like you'll watch the film, it blows you away. You're like, wait a sec, that that film actually represents my worldview. How can someone that lives in a country I've never heard of and a filmmaker that speaks an entirely different language? actually carry the same viewpoints or sentiments that i have why did it speak to me on this level that's because again like the commonality that we have as human beings and the common threads that we have it's not specific to language or cultural identity or religion or spirituality like we all have to recognize we're all part of the same species it's part of the same community and if again if art can can indicate that if it can help those realizations happen all the power to it Yeah. Celebrated,
0: oh for sure, man, for sure. God damn it, man! This has been such a great conversation, Jordan. I've really enjoyed this. I appreciate it. Oh, no worries at all, man. No worries at all. Um, yeah, I I realize that I have kept you for a long ass time, so I'm gonna let you go. But before I let you go, right? Well couple of things couple of things right so going into all of this you know this whole journey to bring this film well it, it and it, it's not even complete you you're not you're just at the beginning you know you you haven't gone back like you know like fraudo you've gone there but you haven't gone back again right you know right what I mean? but coming into this at the start like what did you envision would be the, the toughest challenge? And now you've completed the, you know, this first chapter, like what
1: what turned out to be the
0: toughest part?
1: The, t- the toughest part, in my opinion, I think a lot of independent filmmakers go through this is it's really acquiring the financing. I mean, now the, the nature of our films most independent films have to be financed unless you get a actor that, you know, says, you know what? I love this story. I'm going to get behind it. I'm going to give you unlimited means and funds. That is a very, very rare instance now. Um, I mean, the streamers, when they originate their original content, uh, usually they're, they're doing it at certain price points. Unless like, I mean, if the inclusion of the project includes celebrated names or filmmakers that have great stature, they've been in the business 30, 40 years, that's a project of a different stratum, right? So yeah, I'm just thinking about you know a filmmaker that's got you know their five, six films in, they're gaining some credence, credibility and then they're like, I want to make this and I need a budget of five, ten, fifteen, twenty million dollars. Like you're gonna have to scrape together a lot of partners to be able to get the dollar amount that will allow you to execute the storytelling in the means that you want. So I knew, Number one, the financing was going to be difficult. And now we're really pledging ourselves on that road for the financing for the feature. Getting the financing for the short was also difficult in and of itself. This is going to be on a completely different level. And that's fine. Everyone's got to go through that. The second difficulty is that I'm also, you know, exercising myself as a multi-hyphenate on the project. So I wrote the screenplay. I'm lead acting in one of the lead roles in the film. I'm I'm helping produce in some capacity, I'm sure when the dust settles. So when you, you're you going to wear different hats, you got to make sure the project takes on characteristics that make the person that is providing the financing or the production partners that you have, make them feel comfortable that you've got the other creatives around you that have enough stature where, you know what, we feel comforted enough that the plan that's being implemented is going to be executed right um they're seeing things the right way they're forecasting problem solving they're doing their diligence and I think that aspect too I mean if you look at stories like Stallone and I mean he had to sell his dog which I believe he bought back after the fact and I mean Matt Damon Ben Affleck I read on their story I really look up to these people like they had to go from house to house because they were going to get evicted because the money is running short and you got to go you got to gain the next role to make the bills get paid and everyone's got to go through something. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. And I just embrace that. That's just part of the journey. And uh, you have to be a bit stubborn in a positive way, a bit resilient, but if that's part of it, Kevin, that's part of it. I mean, if you get to make your art, I mean, like all the parts of it that you don't like as well, because those are the parts that also deliver the result that you're aiming for. Mm true very true
0: and i i i think there's something about a struggle right when you had to work real hard for something it hits a little different when you achieved it you know it's like yeah it'd be great if things were handed to you and you know i think you can definitely appreciate those things but when you really just had to put Everything into achieving something when you've got there, yeah. I mean, you you just turn around and you look at the view, and you're just like, damn, you know, I I mean, there's something about
1: that, yeah. We all go through it, you know, like you know, it's things Denzel. Somebody said, like, you want it to rain, you got to deal with the mud, too. Or one of my favorite quotes is, like, the things you think are in the way are the way. I mean that that's that's part of it. I mean, and also I think it's a it's a half-hearted pursuit too. If you just have things handed to you, like it, it, you know, as human beings, if life is easy, it's the metal, it's the toil. That's really what unleashes like the potencies of power inside of you, and also the mm. growth. You got to make mistakes to grow from. You have to yeah. learn and lead from your mistakes and. And also not just that, adversity and understanding how to pick yourself up, you know, off the ground. I mean, there's even just in this film process, there are moments that just they gut you and you got to get yourself off off the canvas. And it's okay, you got to move forward. And you know what I find happens? The more that you go through and you hit the low moments, you get conditioned and then the low moments don't hit you in such a negative way you pick yourself back up quicker and that's why like there's no greater teacher than experience. Right. Because when you go through things, it's going to teach you how to get through it the next time better. And then sometimes it allows you to preempt and then avoid making the mistake the second time. So the path, it just becomes more efficient, but also in that path, you learn a lot about yourself. And I think that's probably the best part of any process. It's all mm-hmm. the we have to go through right in life.
0: Yeah. No, most definitely, man. Most definitely. And another thing I wanted to ask you, man. Right? So, you, you know, there's all of these films that you, you know, hold high. There's, there's, there's people that you look up to. Mm-hmm. Now, in making, you know, your work, like, how close do you think you are right now to finding your voice
1: wow what a great question kevin uh i mean i think you're always so close and always so far right i mean you know these are i mean scorsese ridley scott spielberg peter jackson i mean michael mann like these are these are people that i want to consider colleagues one day i want to work with these people i mean a lot of creatives want to work with people of that stature. I don't know, like, you know, you want, I think when you set goals, perhaps, and I've always looked at it where you got the long horizon, the North star, and then you've also got the work that has to happen in between. So you got to set in, individualized goals on different projects or metrics or quarters or years. And I think you just put your head down work. And then you got to work with qualitative people. You want to work on projects that you think matter, that people are going to feel something from. And then you're, you're building up a, a can and a library of, of credits and, and experiences and the collaborative spirit of giving yourself to others in that creative process. And then you hope that they call you back and you try to lift them up as you're lifting. And then everyone rises together that way, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know like how close or how far. I just know that I just throw myself in the work. I know how I feel when they yell action. I know what you know, what compels me to act and how I feel and what I want to do in this industry. And I know I have things to say. And if that falls upon more ears and eyes, then all the power to it. And if it falls on less, it's never going to stop me from creating. So I don't get tied to outcomes. I get tied to process.
0: Tremendous. I mean, I, I think... A big thing about, you know, film, TV, whatever the project is, right, people want to be able to resonate to it, find empathy in it, right, find that connective tissue. And, you know, companies want to use trailers and posters and all of these different things. But I think a conversation is such a great tool, such a great tool to – for people to, you know what I mean, connect with people, right? To hear the words people say and think, man, that's such a great way of looking at things. You know, the way they talked about that project, I really want to see it. Right. And so I, I think when people hear this, Jordan, man, they're going to come flooding to check out your, your work because the reverence in which you talk about stuff, right? The, the the clear passion, but also that that first for education, that first for knowledge and that knowing that I, I don't know everything. So I'm on this journey to find out as much as I can. I think that comes clear in tropes. So you know what I mean? If people didn't know who you were, they're going to know now and they're going to check out these films and they're going to want more of brothers in arms. So let the people know how they can follow you and, you know, how they could contribute to getting this thing made.
1: Yeah. I I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you for the kind words and you're a gracious host. And uh, I could tell, you know, you've done this many, many times. Appreciate all the support you're providing for filmmakers. For the viewers or listeners uh, to find out more about the film, uh, www.watchbrothersinarms.com. That will give you updated news on what's happening with the project and our short film to feature film filming. Um, my website, actorjordancharles.com. That's got a lot of clips on prior work and, you know, updated news on what's happening, some biographical material. And then my Instagram handle is probably the best way to, kind of follow along with, uh, more newsworthy, uh, snippets and things like that, that's at act at actor Jordan Charles as well. Tremendous
0: people, all the links, all the information will be on the website. So make sure you go through and, you know, go follow Jordan, right. Go check out the film and just support man, because this is like the next generation coming through, right? When we have all of these people, right? Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, you know, just the list goes on, Michael Mann, you know what I mean? Like all of these people have been doing their thing for years and they're, they're reaching the end, unfortunately, right? So they're passing the gauntlet right? To this next generation of filmmakers, right? Like Marcus Fleming, like Daniel Glenn Barber, likes James Samuels, you know what I mean? Just like all of these people, like Jordan Charles, right? So you by supporting, you're, you're lifting this industry up, you know, you're keeping the lifeblood flowing through and you're giving like just this new platform for new stories, right? Which is the, the joy of it all, giving new stories, new life. So that's what this is, people. So go support Jordan, go check out the films and uh
1: yeah, just enjoy, e- enjoy this creative journey. Awesome. I appreciate it, Kevin. That's really, really kind. You're right. We're all part of a continuum, man. Uh, Viewers are part of the continuum of, you know filmmaking uh and watching it and getting something out of it and artists are part of a continuum for the people that pledge the way before us and then after us there's going to be even more emerging so it's just uh we got to treat each other with care support and respect and i appreciate your your stream podcast here to be part of that as well thank you for the support
0: hey no worries at all man and uh yeah when the next project is ready, please come by and uh, we will have another epic conversation. Awesome, Kevin, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Okay, hey, you take care of yourself, man. Same with you. All right, bye. That really was an incredible conversation. I've got a Really give props to Jordan for giving me that much time Oh man, so interesting So many poignant things said by my man Jordan, right? Man, so hey, go check out Brothers in Arms You know what I mean? Go follow him, support and You know what I mean? Get this film made You know what I mean? All the links will be on the website. So go, yeah, go follow, go support, share with your friends, man. Share with your friends, right? Like, subscribe, all of that good stuff. If you haven't checked out part one, go do that. We look at what candy cane lane, right? Christmas as usual, the inseparables, um, God fear to camp and uh the red shoes so boom two great episodes we've got another two-parter for you next week enjoy your film watching people
2: peace